So, are you guys, you got your notes, whatever you need, you guys mm-hmm. ready to go? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This coffee is really hot. I just reheated it, and it's burning my mouth every time I take a sip. This is definitely mm-hmm. keeping me up. I'm going lid off to cool the coffee down faster, so that way I can just chug this shit, and it'll be like a beautiful capital A of energy, where I just peak hard and then crash equally hard in the second half of this episode. <laughs> just talk faster and faster and faster. Uh, and then slower and slower and slower. Sean on bang energy is is quite fun. He does talk faster and faster. It you was... know, but I listened, I listened back to that episode, and obviously I edited it, but I think it was all in my head, because I, I don't think I was really talking that fast, but in the moment, I felt like I was like cracked out. I felt like we were going on a ride, and I wasn't quite sure where the tracks were leading. <laughs> I considered it. I, I, I don't know. Should I do a, a bi-weekly energy oh drink just, just for the podcast? Yes. Like, like, do a different one every week and review them? Hey, that's that's a bad idea that I kind of like. <laughs> now we've got a hook. Uh, well, Josh, I introduced last week. Yes, so, you did. Ah. So go for it, my friend. Okay. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Patrick, you're about to witness real professionalism in podcasting. Oh, boy. Can't wait. The the most professional part is when Sean mocks me for, for doing so poorly. <laughs> I just have high standards. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They're rarely met. Okay. Uh-huh. David Duke. David Duke. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Nashville CA, your bi-weekly, bi-coastal, bi-two-guys podcast where we buy two movies no we we just watch them or rent them or get them however we can and one of us buys them yes free frequently frequently i buy them i'm a sucker actually today uh and this is already already tangenting i did purchase a shirt from one of our movies today we're gonna have to wait and see what i got uh but i'm i'm very excited good it's good. Start them with the visual tease right yes. off the bat. Good, Josh. Good. You can't help yourself, can you? No, I can't. I love doing visual references on podcasts. Uh, Sean, I did hear another voice. Who's that we have uh, off to the side there? Well, that's a fellow Padre fan, my buddy Patrick. Hey, mm-hmm. Patrick. How's it going? Hey, Sean. Hey, Josh. Thank you for having me on your show. He's going to tell you that his Tigers, the Tigers are actually his number one team and Padres <laughs> are number two, but don't listen to him. Well, the whole sport's kind of on my shit list right now, so. <laughs> yeah, yes, I'm not yeah, too thrilled that's... with baseball and everything about baseball. And uh, yeah, let's not get going on that. <laughs> but guys, what about soccer? Are we excited about soccer? Uh... Does soccer ever end? I feel like it's it, it's always okay. going. It literally it just ended and they just kicked off the new season. So it it's just depend it depends on your comfort for what type of billionaire. Are you okay with <laughs> just the average billionaire? Uh-huh, or do you uh-huh. like the Russian oligarchs? Or do you uh-huh. like the Saudi billionaires? You know? That's uh, our local team is sponsored by a bank that I had never heard of until I went to see the team play, which just seems kind of suspect to me. That hmm. uh, 
they they wouldn't be a bank that you actually have around the town where they're sponsoring the the sporting team. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Or uh, when I used to live in DC, we would go to DC United games, and they were sponsored by a defense contractor. Ooh. And they recently switched this year to a cryptocurrency. <laughs> so, so this is the state of the world. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're living in a dystopia. Mm-hmm. So, this week we will be talking about two, I think, spectacular movies. Uh, Patrick, you picked Wayne's World for us, which I had not seen in many a moon. Wow. I'm very happy that we got to revisit it. And Sean, uh, in response, picked One Cut of the Dead. So we've got, I guess, movies about buddies making making, uh, film and television. Yeah, these are both TV shows, aren't they? Technically. You know, I I will say, I think Patrick threw a a tangent on the show that really helped it. My initial response was McGruber because it's just, it's fucking hilarious and it's another SNL turned comedy. Mm-hmm. But I think Patrick was totally right that to go more horror with the second one because talking two comedies back to back, I don't know what we would have said in this episode except for like, remember when and yes. I really liked when and wasn't that funny when. So <laughs> I, I'm really grateful that you made me kind of rack my brain to figure out a pairing. And I was super happy with it. I, I love One Cut of the Dead, and I haven't seen Wayne's World since I was like 10 years old, probably. And it was the most fun thing about it for me was just all the memories that came flooding back, of like all the shit and lines I used to quote when I was a kid that I had forgotten over the years. Yeah, it's definitely like, it, for a, t- a certain time period, it was one of the most quotable movies. If you saw it at the right time, I don't know about now how someone would feel about it if they've never seen it but yeah no this is this movie's great yeah i had a lot of those like oh shit we used to say that all the time uh and actually i love we're not diving in right yet but right off the bat there's a joke about this woman working at a Shakey's Pizza, and that's where Rob Lowe picked her up, and that is just very hilarious and Midwestern. Like, I didn't, re- I didn't recognize the genius of that little joke when I was younger, but now I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I really enjoyed in that scene a little bit too. Is um, they just start going at it, and there's just a pizza on the bed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like, what, what you can at least move the pizza. What kind of life are you people, hedonistic lifestyle are you leading here? I know. I don't know if it's dream or nightmare. This is one of the lower key movies I've watched in a while where the stakes really aren't very high at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The the conflict in this movie is so short-lived. The conflict is like the 10 minutes tacked on. Kind of at the very end. I mean, we, we have the show growing, but as far as, like, Wayne's departure from the show and his his and Garth's breakup, it's so short that this movie is, like, 90% just kind of hanging out and goofing off. Which is the best part of the movie. Like... I agree. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm very happy they didn't try to make this heavy drama or anything. So, did you guys... Um... I mean, I, I'm presuming, Patrick, you're also a little bit younger than, than I, at least. Uh, did you guys uh, ever make Wayne's World type shows with your friends? 
be honest. Did you do this? Um, when I was in junior high, our junior high had a recording studio, and they would record like a daily show that they would play in the morning in the cafeteria. Uh-huh. And we did do that. Like, we did some stuff with that. We did like weird skits and played music and stuff like that. That's very cool. That's much cooler than doing it in my living room for nobody else to see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I took a film class in senior year of high school. And mm-hmm. so my friends and I did a lot of bad short films that were <laughs> like way overly edited to and everything turned into like a montage of new metal so like walk like there'd be a character walking across the school quad mm-hmm. and so that would be a good time to drop like pod ah, <laughs> feel so alive. oh my god it's just like just just picture like this like teenage cringe as fuck and then try to do like tarantino-esque stuff in the parking lot where it's like a heist and like kidnapping oh, like yes. the hostage exchange just oh i'm so sad that none of us is an archivist and thought of a long-term solution to store that but they're lost to the ether i bet there was some gold in their hills there's some fun stuff yeah there is a lot of kids taking themselves far too seriously and us talking about these things like they were art oh god it it makes me blush just thinking about how seriously i took myself (laughs) oh i love it we we also used to do uh radio shows because i guess we came from the era where we'd listen to a lot of radio and a lot of um like nighttime local call-in request shows that kind of stuff uh we didn't really have the syndicated uh like Howard Stearns and stuff until a little bit later I don't think that wasn't as much of a thing so we also made radio programs that we just like gave to each other for some reason and like we would drop our own songs it was really 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 dorky did you tell me you broadcast these in your front yard or am I conflating two different stories i think maybe uh you're making something up there that's uh, <laughs> at least that's half of that Steven- Stephen Merchant of uh, The Office and everything uh-huh. else. The crea- yes. uh, he talked about when he was a kid, they would do little bootleg radio shows and put speakers out in the front <laughs> of the yard and hope that like some local girls would be walking by and then stop and be like, wow, these guys are pretty interesting. <laughs> That's Gosh. amazing. Now, I, I grew up in the middle of the country that like no, no one would have had a chance to hear it except for maybe some local horses. Oh, yeah. It sounds like... Like our college radio station, I went to San Diego State, and we had a radio station called uh, KCR, and I would do a radio show on there, but because of its proximity to Tijuana, all of the big radio stations would put their antennas over there, and it would drown out everything, so the only way you could listen was on the internet, but it was great because people would be like, oh yeah, I loved your show, and it was like, really? Because it said zero listeners the whole <laughs> two hours that I did it, so. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> It's, it's humbling. Oh, I, I've I've done a few Twitch streams just fucking around with it, and you really wonder, like, what am I doing when <laughs> I'm doing a broadcast for myself right now? That's I've seen you going live quite a bit lately. Like, I get the alert, and I've been playing video games a lot instead of okay. doing 
a bunch of like baking, which I was doing. Yeah. It was just, it's just such a hassle to set all that shit up. I, I just could, I can't be bothered lately. But yeah, I've just been doing the video game thing and streaming and. Okay. It was mainly so uh, when I was playing Alien Isolation, I could <laughs> hang out with our friend Chun Li and I could yell at her when I got too scared and that would give me the courage to push forward. <laughs> That's amazing. Hey, by the way, I'm 35 years old now and I can play horror video games without being too scared to just immediately quit them. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank it's you. applause. I don't want to applaud in the mic, though. No, please. The the listeners don't know you're applauding right now. They just oh. think I'm just saying thank you. To, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you humble me. So, uh, is everything in this movie iconic to you guys? <laughs> like, right off the bat, we get the suck cut bit. It certainly which... does suck. <laughs> <laughs> I did not remember it was from the movie or from an episode of SNL, but this like this was just in the ether when I was, you know, a teenager at this point. When you say Wayne's World to me, the suck cut is one of the first things that pops into my head. That game on camera one, camera two, mm-hmm. um, the bit in the guitar shop with the plane stairway to heaven. Yep. Uh, a gun rack. I don't own a gun. That those are those are like those are probably like the eight things that I really could have told you before I watched this movie. Uh-huh. The cream of some young guy. <laughs> yes, the least that was a joke. Fa- <laughs> it was a favorite order for years. Uh, I think mine would have been uh, talking to Meatloaf the, as the bouncer, and he's listing off the bands that are playing, and he says the shitty Beatles. so basically the show starts in media res with uh wayne and garth doing a show from wayne's basement which i guess we never see the rest of wayne's house Uh, it's like briefly when he walks up through the basement but that's yeah okay but the basement is rad i would love a basement like that today i would totally take that basement I was trying to Good figure out, because he said he lived with his parents, right? Mm-hmm. So how old are they supposed to be? Ooh. Because I looked it up, and they're all right around like 28 to 30, and uh-huh. the actors during that time. But they, it seems like they're playing so much younger. No. Those yeah. guys are 28 and 30? Rob Lowe is 28, and so is Mike Myers. Oh my gosh. Okay, Rob, Rob Lowe... Actually, you know what? I would have thought Rob Lowe looks about 38 in this movie. <laughs> and nowadays he looks about 50. So he's aged really well, but he looked older. The slick back hair for Rob Lowe was doing him no favors. Mm-hmm. Or his insane Mike pants. Myers. Mike Those Myers pants are his... nuts. They're nuts. <laughs> go, go <on>. Sorry. <laughs> which, wait, which pants were they? I don't remember. Throughout the, the movie, he has these insane, like, high-waisted parachute pants that he's wearing in suits. Yeah, they're, like there's some combination of like a like a like a khaki. Is it a khaki or a chino? I never. Uh, it, one's a color, one's a style. I never remember. But I think it's a jinko. Yes, he's <laughs> wearing some jinkos, uh, and they have so many pleats. Like they are resplendent with pleats across the front. It's cr- more pleats than an English Navy brigate. 
Um, Frigate. God damn it. <laughs> is this, Got the name of the ship wrong, but is this, aren't, aren't, pleats, aren't pleats the little things that you tie ropes to on boats? Those are cleats. That's a cleat. <sighs> Do I leave this in? <laughs> you, you, should have, you should be nailing this one with all your Patrick O'Brien uh, lately. Yeah. Or your boat talk. I feel so bad about that one. I might edit it out. <laughs> that was like that was one of my worst derailments. Uh, I like that you screwed it up twice. That's the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna be quiet for a while now. Mm. Uh, I, I totally forgot that Wayne talks directly to the camera. I oh. forgot that that was a part of the movie. Uh, yeah, he's. I guess he's kind of the main character, right? Yeah, I mean. Well, him and Garth, because they're the only ones that get to talk to the camera. It, well, <laughs> him and what um, he says. the guy at the donut shop. <laughs> yes. Ed O'Neill. Oh, my God. Which, as a kid, I think Ed O'Neill was maybe my favorite parts of this movie, just because I knew him from Married with Children. And so I was just excited to point out and be like, oh, I love the donut shop guy. It's Ed O'Neill. It's Al Bundy. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> also, thinking back now, like me being a kid watching Married with Children and be like, Al, let's have a quickie. And I just, I had no idea what, what the hell was going on, but I watched it anyways. So do you think Bohemian Rhapsody is overrated because of this movie? Or is it still, is it still correctly aligned in the popular consciousness hmm. there was an 18 month period before and after the queen movie nine months on either side okay where every single asshole in the world talked about how much they loved queen and queen was their favorite band <laughs> uh-huh. and i was like shut up no they're not you're just you're just bullshitting me right now uh-huh. now that we are well past that nine month window i'm happy to say uh, this scene totally held up for me. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it a lot. It was um, interesting. I was talking to somebody about this movie one time, um, and it was I didn't pick up on it, but now I do. It's just how like they're basically posers. Like Wayne and Garth, they're not. They're like these wannabe metalheads, but they listen to like Queen and Aerosmith, yes. and they go see Alice Cooper, and it's just like I don't know. I I always been like, oh yeah, Queen, but like I guess they're making the point that queen is kind of lame. Hmm. I, th- I always thought this scene was an argument that queen is actually a heavy metal band. Mm. And this, this scene was justifying queen. Okay. And, my, and uh, that's how I received this. Okay. Cause it, it, when that breakdown or kick in, whatever you want to call it hits, it's pretty fucking heavy. I remember when I was a kid with my buddy, uh, in my mom's car riding and like heavy headbanging to Bohemian Rhapsody emulating this scene. Oh yeah. Uh, I always thought Brighton Rock was the argument that Queen was a heavy metal band, but that's just me. Hmm. Maybe that or Stone Cold Crazy. Those those both seem uh, hair metally. Yeah, they did kind of get to that point a little bit. Yes, the, very much with the twiddly, 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 twiddly mm-hmm. uh, of the Brian May guitar. Um, 
So you know, you know a lot about Queen. I mean, that's one one thing. I know. I know Brian May. I know he made his own guitar. That's pretty cool. That's a lot of things. Yeah. It's the, it's called the red 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 ball something like that like the red ball jet after the the shoes. Also, there are shoes called red ball. Okay, okay. There's like there's a deep well of weird information. <laughs> then they're all connected, but it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. It's it's Charlie Day gesturing at the wall full of red string in my head all the time, but it leads to nothing. I, did, I just wanted to keep you digging on that line and see where we ended up. <laughs> Uh, what do you think? Uh, the the car. We got to talk about the car. That car is iconic. The gremlin. Yes. What is it? A Nova? It's a the gremlin. gremlin. A gremlin. Wow. It's, it's, there's something just delightfully comical about seeing that car rolling down the street. Yeah. And the, all the additions it gets throughout the movie. Like at one point they put a licorice dispenser in it. And then there's like a CD player that's <laughs> yes. just like a crappy thing. The licorice thing. thing on the roof really cracked me up. Yeah. I like that they they pick up Phil, who has partied too hard. And <laughs> yeah. he's Poor he, Phil. He's, he's about to spew. And they get him into the car, and they, they nurse him back to health with the power of rock. <laughs> By the end of Bohemian Rhapsody, Phil is like... Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed again. I was gonna say it's funny. Like throughout the movie, you see him and he's like completely functional, but whenever he's not working, he's just like passing out, drunk or high or something like that. <laughs> yes, this poor guy doesn't know his limits. We've all been there, but he's on like a constant bad trip. Yeah. Um, did you ever revive anyone with rock and roll when you were a cab driver, Josh? Um, not with rock and roll. Probably with some um, some really tasteful NPR. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll really you hanging out with a blackout drunk listening to NPR together. So you have Jesus <laughs> Christ, <laughs> baby! Oh. Wow, goodness, that was horrifying. That was, there was no build up to that bark. Hang that on, was Jesus just Grumble an on. explosion of dog wolf. <laughs> I wish we had video of that because it looked like he was doing a back scrape. I know, I thought he was going to fall, to ba- fall over backwards. <laughs> so, with uh, the people in the cab, it, no matter what level they're at, you kind of have to counter-program. Like, you have to negate their their vibes, especially if they're negative or really, you know, like, drunk people tend to get rowdy. I never got, like, a lot of passing out drunks. I got some like rowdy fresh from the strip club drunks. Mm. So you kind of got to you got to do something to to chill chill what's going on there. Put on some Diane Ream. Yes. Some um I really like oh, what was that show? I'm sure I've referenced it before, but um there was a, a late night show where they played space music. <laughs> Like oh. ambient, ambient chill kind of stuff that um, I, I think if you take mushrooms, like you just chill out and listen to this and kind of trip through the cosmos is the whole idea of it. Not bad. Yeah, I would. I have a few of those playlists saved on Spotify okay, good. in case of emergency. Yeah. <laughs> in case you need yeah, to it's come like, back down. Mm-hmm. It's like the the music you would listen to at a new wave 
massage therapy place, basically. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. The Wayne coveting that electric <laughs> guitar yes. through the window. Yes. Uh, I gotta make... As, an, as a guitar player. Yeah. When you play electric guitar, does the guitar really matter in the end by the time you run it through a pedal board? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So... Uh-oh. Did I just strike a nerve? So no, this this is another rabbit hole I have recently gone down with uh getting back into playing and thinking about my different guitars, right? Um there is a gentleman on YouTube who made an air guitar. It has strings and a saddle and a headstock and a pickup. And that's it. Oh, I have one of those. See? Okay. Patrick's playing his right now. But, uh, but how how are these things held together? He he put them between two benches, uh, yeah. and stretch stretch the strings between two benches, and then basically, uh, like with kind of a lever sort of thing, put the pickup where the pickup would be on a on a strat, basically. Um, but it's not touching anything else. Okay, and. He gets it to sound tonally almost exactly the same as his very expensive Strat, and also the same as his like $180 Strat. He makes them all sound tonally the same. Hmm. The argument being, it's the pickup, and he's running straight into an amp, so it's not even the pedal board at that point. It's just the pickup and the amp that's doing the work. The idea that you have different woods and stuff is like kind of blown out of the water. Well, I thought the point was that uh, the more expensive guitars, they were, like, built better. And they, like, had nicer wood and things like that. It wasn't always the sound. Although, I guess sometimes that could be the case. Well, I mean, a a big uh, thing that's come up in the last few years has been tone woods with, like, these ones vibrate better or they resonate more or whatever. Mm. or something like Polonia, which is super light, but people were turning against it because they thought that it doesn't resonate as much. But this guy's like, well, it kind of doesn't matter. Like, go ahead and make a super light uh, Les Paul. It really is down to the pickups. Hmm. By the time I run it through a distortion pedal and an overdrive pedal, I feel like all bets are off. <laughs> and it, it, it doesn't matter at all what I'm running through that thing. Yeah. So my other note about this is I do this at the motorcycle shop. There's a motorcycle shop that I pass frequently. And if I'm driving past at night, I go and I just pull over and kind of stand there and gaze at the Triumph Bonneville. Just is it. Can I can I guess that it's a heavily matte black motorcycle? No, although those are sexy. I do. I do like the matte black. Uh, Damn it. Yeah. I thought I thought I had you on that one. No, mm. it is blacked out though. The the um I think it's the T100. <sighs> I had to throw Matt in there yeah. just to sound extra confident and it yes. backfired. <laughs> nope, you just should have said a, a blacked out cafe racer and you would have had me in your crosshairs. Damn. Like Garth had that waitress in his crosshairs. Oh yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if those landmarks were real. Cuz they were driving down the street and they showed like a huge stack of cars on a pole. They yeah, linger on that stack of cars forever. Yeah, it like, seems that's like a it's a very long shot. Mm-hmm. I was going to look up and see if it's still there, actually. 
Um, what do you guys think of the donut shop just in general? I love the giant hockey player on top of it. That's very iconic Stan for me. Nikita. <laughs> uh, so Garth staring at the waitress and then falling over and saying excuse me is is very nebbish. I, I, I think <clears throat> overall with this movie, I think uh, some of the Mike Myers stuff is too much and it's like it, it, he he's he's pushing a little too hard, but I I really am vibing with Dana Carvey. Yeah, I really enjoyed at the beginning of that. Would like they switch over to Garth? And he's like, "Here, Garth, you talking to the camera?" And he's just like, <laughs> "What's that?" And then runs away. <laughs> <laughs> just like does not. It's like along for the ride. When uh, when that camera does move in, like it, Garth is. It's getting closer, I think, closer to the woman and closer to Garth. And then it's almost like the camera knocks him off. But also, maybe the power of his swing might knock him off the... <laughs> off the I've never quite figured out which one it is. Uh, I also... The, the gun rat gift and <laughs> str- straw in the donut. Yes. Garth oh, yeah. slurping the jelly with a straw. God damn it, that's pretty funny. <laughs> that That's... A lot of this, Josh, um, if we hadn't covered Strange Brew before, mm-hmm. these movies are probably, that's probably too similar to Strange Brew, but I got a lot of vibes from that movie. Same as this one. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're both, uh, this oddly feels more Canadian than it does Chicago to me. I thought this movie was set in Canada. That's how uh-huh. I remembered it. I did not remember this being an mm. American movie. Yeah. No, it makes it's sense because like Tim Hort, it's very Tim Hortons vibe. Mm-hmm. I would love. Uh, we don't have like an all night diner donut place here. There's like one kind of greasy spoon downtown that might be open all all night, but they're not open all day. Uh, called uh, the Hermitage. That is great to go get like some salty ham uh, at about two o'clock in the morning after you're done with an open mic or something. It's like that's a that's a fantastic spot, but it's not this vibe. I want something like this that feels fairly safe to hang out in and also has a shitload of donuts. Mm-hmm. San Francisco is not an, a city that's open late, mm-hmm. but there is a place up the hill from me called Lucky Penny, twenty four hour diner. And when I moved barricades and stuff, we would often start at two, three, four a.m. And so I went in there twice where I was like, you know, I, I keep working on an empty stomach and then I crash really hard. So what if I got in the habit of like walking up the street here, getting breakfast, jumping on the bus, hung out in there twice, sketchiest fucking thing <laughs> in the world with the toughest waitresses you've ever seen. These women did not put up with anybody's bullshit and there was a lot of bullshit flying around that place at 2 a.m oh i guess to be fair talking about tough waitresses we do have waffle house like every other interstate stop out here so you can get your waffle on pretty much anytime you want to but uh as has been proven multiple times you might be taking your life into your own hands when you go into one at two o'clock in the morning yeah it's not it's like in California, we used to have, go to Denny's. I don't know how much Denny's is on the East Coast, but it was that same thing. It's like, you don't know who's going to be in there. 
Mm -hmm. We had, growing up, we had Denny's, um, but we also had a Perkins, and Perkins was the spot. Mm, Tiger Woods' favorite spot. Is it now? Yeah, it's where um, he got caught um, banging a Perkins waitress. Man. Yeah, that's how... That's how his wife got into trouble. You know what? I think several members of my high school golf team uh, were following in his footsteps. (laughs) (laughs) Not bad. Uh, Good joke. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Uh, My next notes are at the concert. If you guys ready to to go there. Oh, I I just wanted to point out they keep calling Stacy a psycho hose beast. Yeah. Which I was like, I don't know what that means. The gun, the gun wreck gift. That's pretty goddamn funny. I don't uh, have a gun, let us alone many guns necessitate a rack. <laughs> when uh, right before she gives it to him, and Garth says, "Oh, don't look at Stacy," and Michael, Michael Myers immediately says, "Where?" and turns. <laughs> That's a funny joke. That was a Mike Myers that landed for me. Like his kind of big exaggerated, huh? Was good. Uh, yes, I think going to the gas works is the next thing. Mm-hmm. So Garth gets, uh, Garth gets tossed <laughs> by the gigantic guy. Uh, and then he comes back with the utility belt taser all set up, tases the guy. When he does the, the taser thing where he's throwing it left, right, left, right, left, right after. Yeah. And it's, uh, the, the film is slowed down. So it's all sped up. Uh-huh. It's really fun to look at the extras surrounding him you yep. were all doing their damnedest to stand as still as possible <laughs> so they don't give away the speed up uh, i like how handy garth is in this movie yeah, yeah. okay he's very uh he's very macgyverish but yeah some of these devices are like super intricate the hand later what the hell is that yeah. hand garth is making a robot man yeah <laughs> Like, that's an aspect I think many people have overlooked, is Garth has a robot Frankenstein thing going on in this For movie. For no reason. He just is doing it. Yes. Like, it does no payoff later. He just it was making a robot, man. <laughs> uh, this is where we're introduced to, introduced to Tia Leone. And, no, or, no sorry. Car- Carrere. Who? What's yeah. her name? Tia Carrere. Yes. Tia Carrere. Thank you. The wrong Tia. Uh, she beats up those guys <laughs> in like a really random kung fu moment, and uh, but then follows my heart by ordering a soda with lime, which mm-hmm. is my uh, my go to back drink mm-hmm. behind my pint of beer. Uh, I do like that Wayne says, "Yo, yeah, everybody was kung fu fighting," and then immediately winces because he realizes <laughs> that it was a stupid thing to say. <laughs> Um, um, she, she's great in this. I guess she, if you look in the credits, you saw she sang all the songs. I, you know, I was wondering if she did because we talked about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou on this show mm-hmm. and the the voice match from the guy singing to what George Clooney looks and sounds like was preposterous. But this one, I was, I was curious if she was actually doing it. That's cool. I really loved her in this. She's mm-hmm. funny, really good energy. Uh, preposterously beautiful mm-hmm. and she's what else do you guys think of her and because for me it's um true lies and she's so good in true lies also yeah i 
I mean, she's amazing in both the Wayne's world and true lies. Um, there was like some random, uh, not public access, uh, syndicated show that she was on that I used to watch. I can't remember the name of it. It was like a Tomb Raider ripoff. Um, but she was like oh. the whole reason that I watched it. That's a good reason. Yeah. What, uh, what was that? Well, we'll never know. I'll, I'll, I think Garth, Garth relic said hunter. It, best. it was a relic hunter. There it is. Yep. I think Garth said it best for me when he said, she makes me feel kind of funny. Like when we used to climb the rope <laughs> at gym class. <laughs> okay. These, these bros, they talk about their wangs a lot. They do. There's there's a lot of self penis talk in this, and it's mostly all positive, which I kind of appreciate. Yeah, there's like a. I really like how sincere they are. It's like they know who mm-hmm. they are, and they're not going to pretend to be anything else. Like whenever they would tell a dumb joke, and they would just like quietly laugh to themselves, it really made me laugh because they're just like so happy with themselves. That's. Uh, the idea of them being posers and the fact that they're surrounded by these dudes who actually look like metalheads. Yeah. Uh, and there's just something cause they, these guys both look so dorky. They're so pasty and pale. I mean, they look more like the kinds of guys who might listen to heavy metal, but also play D and D. Also I'm, I'm outing myself. <laughs> In that, I would be a pasty D and D guy who occasionally listens to metal. That's that's where I fit in. Uh, so you know, nothing nothing rude, no shade thrown there. I love their heavy metal crew, and so my take is that the one guy is always on psychedelics, and that's why he's just walking around telling everyone that he constantly <laughs> that he loves them, yes. he loves them so much. That's that's the only read I could pull away with that one. Yeah, I I love that guy. Uh Terry, <laughs> is it Terry? Yeah. He's telling everyone. Yeah. And uh, then the the Grey Poupon joke, which I don't even remember the commercial, but oh. I fucking remember this reference from this movie and like again, pulling up next to your friend when I was in elementary school and then you roll down the window and like both in your mom's cars and then you ask Pardon me, do you have any Grey Poupon? And just giggling, thinking that was the funniest fucking thing in the world. <laughs> just, oh, this movie struck up a lot of memories that I had forgotten about. I wrote something down where I was wondering, like, trying to think which parts of this movie must have just killed at the time. Like, you go mm-hmm. to the theater, like, on opening weekend, and you don't see that coming, and it's, like, referencing a commercial that's on TV at the current time. Mm-hmm. Like, must have been amazing to witness something like that. Uh, I wrote down Xantar is a gelatinous cube. <laughs> <laughs> because I loved his pitch for video games. Uh, is it? Yeah. Brian Doyle Murray mm-hmm. uh, as uh, Noah from Noah's Arcade, who's going to become the sponsor of the show. This... They have two of every game, Josh. <laughs> I, for, frankly, I want to go to that arcade that has two of every game. It's a genius. Back when arcades were very popular, yes, genius marketing strategy because then you have two Pac-Mans, two Donkey Kongs. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Um, there was one part in the scene because they're they're obviously I think they're TV executives, right? Uh, Rob Lowe and uh, or Benjamin and Russell, 
and there's one scene where he's like, oh, um, Russell has made this show, like the African-American something show. And he's like, uh-huh. and Noah says, I've never heard of it. And he's like, it's won several awards. He just seems so hurt that he had not yes. heard of his show. Uh, I love it. It's, I, I can't remember who says, but someone says, because it's on very late. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Rob Lowe suggests that basically Noah's <laughs> arcade invests in Wayne's world and puts it on TV. So during this scene, I made the note, how in the world are these guys selling ads on a show that they have nothing to do with? And then in the next scene, uh, the assistant guy says, uh, is it even legal to like sell ads for a show that we don't own? And I was yeah. like, Oh, they're, they're just calling it out. And he's yeah. like, but we will Rob Lowe says, but we will. And dun, dun, dun. that's the end of it. Yeah. I think we've, we've all been there. At least I, I definitely have when Phil tells Wayne about, He's like, oh, the band <laughs> Crucial Taunt at the garage. We were and Wayne's like, yeah, we were there. <laughs> I've I've had some nights that I'm not too proud of, mm-hmm. where people talk to you the next day or the following week, and you start talking to them about something. Like, yeah, I know, I talked to you that night. <laughs> oh shit! I just outed myself. It's really God humbling. It. <laughs> it, that's a good way to put it. It's very <laughs> um and then garth he i don't know he has like a the drill or whatever and he's just like screwing around with it openly <laughs> yes. he's just like a curious little kid that's all these little bits that don't actually add anything to the movie are the best pieces mm-hmm. garth accidentally scratching up the side of that car and then just his reaction <laughs> is it's primo that is some great stuff it's you know, and Garth I think that's breaking why I the fourth it. wall to tell us about the Twilight Zone and <laughs> tongues growing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so much. The plot, yeah, the plot is like advanced at a glacial pace in this movie, uh-huh. and that's perfect for it. I was wondering. Um, I put a thing down there, like, what? What do you think's the timeline for this movie? Like, how long do you think this movie takes place during? Because it seems like I mean, it could be like two months. It I, could be like a week. I, I was I was going to yeah. say three months. Because mm. how often do they normally put out the show? How long did it take to put all that together? But it also seems like it could have been a couple days. Yeah. That it happened in. Yeah. Because um, I think the only thing that really tips it off, I think the show is weekly. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yeah. Because I mean, they say something, about, say something about Friday nights. But they mm-hmm. could have not done it for a couple of weeks. Have you guys ever gotten into any shows like Wayne's World, little public access shows in California? I've only seen a handful of episodes, but it's that um Hugh Hauser California's Gold oh, that yeah. was on a lot of comedy bang bang characters or on a lot of that episodes. Um but that guy's show it sounds really fun until you watch it and <laughs> the shtick the shtick kind of gets old after about 10 or 12 minutes, but Huel Hauser was such a sweet man. Uh, did you guys watch any super low-budget local shows like that? I also used to watch that with my grandma. Um, really? Yeah. And uh, the Chris Gethard show I watched a lot of. And that was on public access for a long time. I've heard his name a lot, and I know I've heard him as a guest on one or two podcasts, but I know nothing about him. 
it's yeah he had a public access show for like five or six years in new york and he was he's still a stand-up comedian uh but i he's kind of like was known for being the guy at the ucb theater who everyone was like this guy's gonna be the next big thing and then he never he didn't like become that for like a long time we had here in nashville for years um the bat poet who was on our our cable access uh channel it was the number one show on the cable access channel um and he would have he always was in a batman mask that he bought for like 50 bucks somewhere it was like the nicest mask you could get at the time okay uh uh he passed away sadly like 10 or 11 years ago i want to say um but he would have like luchador wrestling uh on or kind of like wayne's world like local businessmen um one of our famous attorneys bart durham who's the guy who is in all of our commercials was on the show uh at one time and it was the wackiest thing and if you would catch it it really felt like you dropped into something that you shouldn't be watching (laughs) in the best way yeah so uh there's that there's uh, the Dr. Gangrene show which my good friend Cameron directed for several years and he was the local horror host um and oddly enough Cameron now runs our local cable access channel so yeah nice. i've got a, a lot of ties in to the world oddly enough you're just like the broadcast signal intrusion guy aren't you i am oh I love that movie so much. Uh, I like <laughs> uh, Wayne's assurance that, oh, yes, we have a lawyer. We're between lawyers. We're actually between lawyers right now. <laughs> is is a very good line that I have used, never in context, but occasionally will say. Wayne floating towards Cassandra, and then his girlfriend appears, uh-huh. and the horror, the horror sting kicks in. Uh-huh. That's pretty damn funny. Who directed this movie? I I, I looked... Uh, Penelope Spheris. Yes. So, like, her career is really interesting because she did uh, metal videos and then uh, she made Decline of Western Civilization. And then after this, she just made, like, the Beverly Hillbillies and Black Sheep and the Little Rascals and stuff like that. That's... Yeah, I've seen... Oh, Tommy Boy. Oh, no, that's not one of hers. But Black, no, Sheep, Black Sheep is... That's one that I, I, I watched a lot as a kid because I loved Tommy Boy so much mm-hmm. that I decided that Black Sheep was good enough that it, it still had enough of that Tommy Boy juice left over in it mm-hmm. that I could really enjoy it a lot. It's not as good, though, for sure. Yeah, I've, I haven't really seen any of her other stuff, but it's kind of a... Oh, you have, have a random career, huh? Yeah. You haven't seen the Decline of Western Civilization movies, Sean? Yeah, you should watch those. Those are great. Yeah. No, what? I don't even know what those are. I've never heard of those. Um, uh, they're documentaries. Ba- the first one's a documentary based in the L.A. punk scene in the late 70s, early 80s. And they follow, like, some... Like, it, it follows, like, the bags, like Alice Bag. And the germs, like with Darby Crash, and it basically like filmed up to the end of his life. 
when he like died of an overdose at like 23. Oh shit. Yeah. It's interesting. And then this, the second one is the metal years, the metal years. Uh huh. I'd definitely be curious to watch. I I like, remember those documentaries that came out about 10 years ago by that guy, Sam something. He's an anthropologist and did exam metal, a headbanger's journey. And then he did one more, I think it was flight six, six, six with iron maiden. Um, but anyway, I, I, I dig music documentaries and I thought her direction of this movie, she adds, there's a lot of jokes added through the direction that wouldn't have been there in somebody else's hands. Yeah. A lot of it has real music video feel. Which one of my questions was, is this movie a musical? No. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thank you for answering. It it skirts close to musical territory. I enjoy it too much. Oh, <laughs> got him! Wow, that's yeah, that's the barometer. Um, did you guys find Wayne learning Cantonese extremely heartwarming? Yeah, it's very, it's. I can't even imagine what that must have meant to that character to be like, you went and learned my entire language just to talk to me. Also, I, I feel I might've forgotten, but I feel like there's not any jokes at her expense of being Asian. And it actually goes very far in this scene to show respect to her culture. Um, I would say that the whole thing with uh, the inaccurate subtitling, it's not the most culturally sensitive thing no. I've seen. Well, this scene, this scene then does start to carry on for a long time. Yes. But, but initially. The initially, idea behind it is very sweet, <laughs> I think. I did enjoy the joke, though, with the, where he just says a couple words and it just like stretches and stretches and stretches. <laughs> it's pretty silly. Yes. I, I did like that, too. It's just dumb little throwaway jokes like that that are very naked gun-ish. Yeah. Um, Garth's <laughs> Garth's <laughs> might be my favorite moment in the movie when Garth and Wayne are talking. And he says, "Did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive <laughs> when it put on a dress and tried to pretend to be a girl bunny?" <laughs> and again, they, the Wayne, you see, I think Mike Myers is breaking in this scene because yes. it just feels so genuine and warm. Mm -hmm. His laughter, the two of them here, um. I loved this scene so much. Um, and Sean, you would know because we were both lived in San Diego. Uh, you know, with the airport, there's that one parking lot that's sort of by the Casbah. Yeah. That the planes yeah, fly yeah. right over. We did that yeah. once where we were in the car and when the airplane like flew right over the parking garage. Um, just like they did. And it was like, it, this is going to be awesome. And we're like, eh, this is fine. Down there by Dirty Dan's. Yes. Dirty Dan's is no longer there, but I just remember it was like one of the iconic things about going to the airport was we would pass a strip club on the left that had full purple signage and purple curtain or whatever the awning is out front. And Dirty Dan's, topless bar, servicemen get a free cheeseburger when upon <laughs> entry. <laughs> yeah, I think it's right by the harbor. So it's just like, well, where are we going to go? <laughs> my, my next 
note makes no sense to me because it says Delaware. Hi, I'm in Delaware. (laughs) (laughs) Why does that not make any sense? That makes perfect sense. Because I watched this movie five days ago, and so some of the real minor jokes are starting to fade. Oh, no, that was one of the the king jokes for for us was the the lackluster Delaware. I'm in Delaware uh, line reading. Yeah, because they're using the magic power of the green screen, which I guess they're just testing oh, for the thank, show. OK, the yes. green screen, the green screen. I'm with you now. I'm, I'm right. I'm right back with you. Okay, I didn't good. have my bang this week. And so I feel like my brain is <laughs> depleted of memory juice. But yeah, the green screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got joke. Garth smashing the reanimated arm after this i love when a when somebody's animation or creation comes to life and then they have to frantically destroy it that's always fun um there was one part that really made me laugh before that when they're looking over the i think it's this part when they're looking over the studio and he's like that looks like wayne's (laughs) basement but that's not wayne's basement isn't that weird he's like garth that was a haiku and they're all like really satisfied Uh, um, um, this is where I noted that Rob Lowe's pants have so many pleats. Crazy. Yeah, just a massive mm. amount of, of pleating on the front of this man's area. Uh, let's see. Wayne's got money now, so he goes to buy the guitar. <laughs> uh, and I got another iconic scene for me was Garth's drumming. L- uh, Garth losing his mind on the drum kit is wonderful. Uh-huh. And that was the one thing my dad would always say. Do you know that Danny Carvey can actually play the drums? Like, that was his one factoid about the about the movie. Really? Yes. It, it looked like he was legitimately, maybe not playing all of that, but good enough to mimic. Yeah. Josh, do you find music shops to be just, like, intimidating places where you feel like you're just judged by people the moment you walk inside of them? Okay, so there's two different types of music shops, though. Like, there's your your Guitar Center, or Sam Ash, or um, Sweetwater, Woodwind Brasswind, these kind of big chain places that are always very large, always seem to be full of dudes just going... I'm I'm pretty comfortable in a Guitar Center. I feel anonymous in there. See, I, the Guitar Center feels, like, oppressive to me. Now, my local guitar shop, just up the road here, um, I, I can chill. I hang out and talk with the guy who does the repairs. Um, I can talk with the, the people who come in and out of there. The guy who owns it's really nice. And oh, the local small shop is where they really judge you for not knowing what you're talking about. Because that's when they get to know their customer, and that's when they can really be condescending assholes, because you're the only person in the shop. And so they can just focus all their attention on looking down their noses at you. And I might be projecting a little bit. (laughs) Sean, this might be a you thing rather than a guitar shop thing. It's gotten a lot better now, but when I was a kid, a teenager, (laughs) and I'm like, was not practicing guitar and I'd have to go get strings for it because I was in guitar but faking practicing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Just long story. 
that was when I really felt judged because God forbid they would ask me to play something that I knew. And they're just like, I didn't know a goddamn thing. And people would always be nice, but still, ter- guitar shops are terrifying places to go. Okay, full admission. As nice as the local place is, the other day I went and had uh, a switch replaced on my guitar. And Esteban, as he does, did a very nice job. He was very cordial as as he was working. Um and since it was my stuff he was working on, he was even, you know, when he's working on other stuff, you get a little bit short. <laughs> but since it was mine, he was just like, yeah. And he cleaned up all the wiring for me. It was a great job. Then he picks it up and tunes it up and plugs it into this little Yamaha THR amp that he's got on the on the bench. And he plays some tasty licks. Then he switches all through the through the switches. And I'm like, yep, sounds great. And then he goes, do you you want to try it? I was like, no, I got to go. I got <laughs> Just wrap it up and I'll I'll take it. Not quite there yet with nope. them, are you? Nope. Yeah. I didn't want to let him see. He thinks I'm cool. Like, uh, like, your face is going red right now. <laughs> like, check out my C chord. Yes. That's what you I got. got. Any empty jars around? I love the product placement scene with Pizza Hut and Doritos, and then Garth being draped head to toe in Reebok, talking about how people sell it now, and he just thinks that's really sad. <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Uh, did you notice at the beginning of that scene, Garth is reading an encyclopedia? <laughs> He's just in the no. background reading a volume of the encyclopedia. Oh Such a yeah. nerd. Like, it's so good. Uh, that scene also really made me want some pizza. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I want shitty Pizza Hut pizza. Uh-huh. I haven't had it in 15 years, but still, sometimes I want it. Yeah. Yeah. It really, like, when he pulled out, the Dorito, it really like I could taste that Dorito. That old bag of Doritos yes. too, the mm-hmm. old design. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh Ed O'Neill talking about getting laid off and wanting to rip the boss's hot heart out and watch him <laughs> die as you hold his beating heart in your hands. <laughs> it's so aggressive. Just funny. <laughs> um camera one and camera two is just adorable and i i really like how sweet wayne and cassandra seem to be their little relationship they have going it's i like it it really could be played and i think that um maybe mike myers got a little more cynical as, as he got older because it could be played like something from austin powers which seems a little meaner and a little more prickly but this just seems really warm and open between these two, and I thought it was really sweet. One of the things I read about this movie, it came out, an article came out recently, because uh, I guess it's the 30th anniversary this year or something. Uh, okay. It was with the director, and she was talking about how Mike Myers was like a very control, he wanted to control the movie, he was like, I want to get the jokes in. And the director was like, well, we need to tone it back, we need to soften it up a little bit. Because it's like, you can't go that hard. So I wonder if that's the difference between like him listening to the director and actually cutting out a little bit of it versus Austin Powers, where he can just 
do what he wants. This, I, it's not, this had a woman's touch. Mm-hmm. This, see, this had a delicacy that I don't think Mike Myers has in him. No, he seems like a guy who's always on. Yes. And it might not, I mean, I think time has proven that he probably doesn't know where the line is. You know, like, you're occasionally you're going to get a love guru out of the guy. <laughs> oh, boy. I almost, um, I almost picked that one. <laughs> <laughs> Garth, poor Garth, when he reads in Rob Lowe's calendar, exploit local small public TV. And then he goes, oh, I feel sorry for whoever that is. <laughs> and he finds the condoms. It's just like so innocent. Mm-hmm. It's like ribbed for her pleasure. <laughs> so as we get towards the Alice Cooper stuff, uh, this really reminded me of Cannibal Corpse in Ace Ventura. Cannibal Corpse is one of the old death metal bands. They've been around since the late 80s, and they're still going strong. God bless them. They've never changed their sound, really, or anything. Um, But I I remember them talking about how much exposure being an Ace Ventura got them, and um, also how cool Jim Carrey was, because apparently Jim Carrey was the one who heard about them and wanted them to be in the movie. And, uh... Yeah, they played Hammer Smashed Face in the, in the movie. Fun fact. Good job, Jim. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really know Alice Cooper very much outside of, like, he's like Guar. But he, <laughs> from the interviews I've seen him in, he seems to be really in on the joke and seems to be a pretty cool guy. Yeah. I definitely, that's the vibe I've always gotten from him. I have some friends who are very into Alice Cooper. and. uh Actually, I was texting with one of them while I was watching the movie. He he had just come out of a meeting and he he wanted to chat. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, I'm watching Wayne's World, and I just got to the uh, Alice Cooper singing Feed My Frankenstein." And he's like, "I met Alice Cooper and got him to say Milwaukee." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "That's amazing!" And he said he was totally down. Like he jumped to it. Alice Alice Cooper's historical lesson. His historical lesson here is another one of my favorite scenes in this entire movie. It's really to just completely to completely break the rhythm. Yeah. And to just give a little historical lesson here from a man painted as a corpse is just great. Um, I've eaten at this restaurant. Alice Cooper's town. uh, In Arizona. And they have a hot dog called the Big Unit, named after Randy Johnson, and it's a three foot long chili dog. Oh, I was. It was huge. Oh. I was gonna ask if it had a baseball crossover. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fucking smart. Yeah, they make a big show when it comes out. It's just like, all right. <laughs> Do no. you remember when Randy Johnson threw that fastball right as a pigeon <laughs> flew across home plate and the bird exploded? Uh, remember, Still one of the most I can't one of the it. most incredible things I've ever seen in sports. Uh, I think about that sometimes, the odds of that and that bird. That's a Randy Johnson fastball is a pretty good way to go out because it's just going to be lights out instantly. Oh yeah. Um it's it is never not fun to hold up your passes. As you're going backstage, 
I, I just have to say that oh, it's must be nice. <laughs> I used to do some filming of wow. live concerts <laughs> for I'm cattle decapitation, and so I yeah I, I remember hanging out backstage with the band and smoking yeah. pot and stuff and being twenty four years old and thinking I was very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good time. They were nice guys. Um. So we're going to get to the actual big production TV show now, right? Yeah. Uh, what do you think of just how the show is introduced with the announcer and then the theme song back to back like that? I kind of love the announcer, frankly. It reminds me of like the uh, David Letterman show. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I just like how cheesy, like, they did a really good job of showing how cheesy it is and making it like a whole corporate thing and not them not understanding what the show was. Yeah, like the the suits took it and they made it square, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh uh so yeah, <laughs> Wayne has to interview Brian Doyle Murray and so he puts a bunch of jokes on the back of the cards. What were some of your favorite jokes here from the cards? <laughs> was it he blows goats? I have proof. <laughs> it's the i have proof yeah that really gets you on that one Mm -hmm. Uh, this man has no penis is that (laughs) yeah that's another one and this gets wayne fired so wayne has a job wayne's on the air for what five minutes (laughs) before he's fired from this job and so now wayne's world is gonna be garth only what are these network executives thinking these guys are really haphazardly running this station yeah you can't have wayne's world without wayne just world uh and maybe you watch the show once before you decide to put it on your air yeah i I really appreciated the producer um guy laughing and then as soon as rob Lowe's character turns to him he says those card those phrases were not in the cards when i handed them to him (laughs) (laughs) what's is that guy phil russell no Russell. Oh, Russell. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy his performance. I don't know what else I've seen him in, but he's a real funny little pressure valve for Rob Lowe to be around. Um, so <laughs> Garth is on TV alone, and then one of the crew guys goes, it looks like that scene in Scanners when the guy's head blows mm-hmm. up. <laughs> yeah, and then after that point is when they go to the car, they're on the car again, right? Oh, and they have the... <laughs> They have the silent argument. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, and I like the the line uh, after Wayne walks out that Garth says, I'm just the gym to your Marlon Perkins. Like, it's the, <laughs> the old oldest old Hollywood dorky reference that you could get. With you, as always, is Garth. <laughs> the brutal cell phone. That joke, that joke is well over my head. Jim to your Marlon Perkins? Uh, what's some old old timey TV? Is that Anthony Perkins' dad? Oh, that'd be interesting. No, I don't think so. Hmm. But there it can't be two Perkins. But it could be. It's got to be the same family. <laughs> Might be Marlon Brando's dad. <laughs> you don't know how names work back then. Okay. Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that Marlon Brando's name is Marlon? That's weird, right? Like, if you say Marlon Brando, that sounds totally fine. And then you just say Marlon. Like, I can't call that guy Marlon. It sounds fake. Yes. You ever think about 
Marlon Brando and Marlon Wayans <laughs> having lunch together. <laughs> Constantly. Where do you think they go? Islands. <laughs> but oh, Sean, Marlon, Marlon Perkins was the the um, nature show guy. And Jim was his sidekick. I don't think it was the ones that were branded as the Disney um, nature show. It was like one of <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing you can say to Sean. Don't make him understand no. it. This is not the I'm kind of stuff. I'm just gonna keep shaking my head at you. You you never saw um what is it Mutual of Texas or whatever uh shows on PBS. These weren't things that happened in your household. Okay, is that the one with Mickey Mouse? No, it's not the one with Mickey Mouse. I think it's the other one. Oh, yes, that's the thing. Because I remember the one with Mickey Mouse, too. Okay. That's the one where they, they faked all the lemmings going off the cliff, and then everyone thinks that lemmings go off cliffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They do when I play the game. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, so, Wayne is really mean to Cassandra. Like, I don't like this scene. It makes me uncomfortable. It's really out of place with the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like they couldn't figure out a way to break them up without making Cassandra look bad. And Wayne being a total asshole. It feels like they really need, they, they realize like, oh shit, we need to manufacture some kind of conflict at some point in this movie so that it's not just kind of meandering along for the whole 90 minutes. Yes. Although I would have been happy for it to just meander along for 90 whole minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did we pass the part where they're in the donut shop uh, again. That was my next no, note. Okay. No, that that's after. Oh, Wayne. <laughs> Wayne says the phrase, uh, "He's screwing me," and then he's screwing you. It's Dutch door action. Yeah, I don't think I got that. What's I it? didn't either. Because uh, a, a Dutch door is the door that splits in the middle, right? Like, um, like a like a barn door or whatever that you would have, where the top and the bottom can open and close separately. Oh, so it's like going in and out. No, it's it's this. Oh. Oh. But yeah. Okay. Which I really I really don't get. So what Josh just did was he put his hands on top of each other <laughs> lengthwise and then he flung one out and then the other one in. You can try it at home. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. We need you I to need pop you up every like, episode to yep. be here to describe these things that Josh does. Uh um uh yeah so garth what do you what do you like about this donut shop um, here patrick oh i i really like i think that's the part when he's like women want you to come for them and then this girl in the background just like licks her tongue like licks her fingers with her tongue at him mm-hmm. it's just like what was that she just did that <laughs> unprompted because i love him making the monster with the yeah, donut kill, killing the donut man mm-hmm <laughs> And Ed O'Neill says, if you stab a man in the middle of winter, steam rises out of him. <laughs> uh, it is. Oh, the, my, next, my next note is Wayne opening the door to the James Bond oh, yeah. yes. henchman training room. Th- this is such a great, insane, surreal moment. Uh, it is the quickest third act turnaround. Wayne was literally an asshole for one and a half scenes. Mm-hmm. And then comes back and is like, I'm sorry, I've learned my lesson. And they're buddies again. 
and they can go on with their plan to get Cassandra and do the show again. I, I love it. Like it's if you watch any of the um oh like the Apatow kind of produced films, they all have this exact same structure or like wedding crashers or whatever. It's the exact same thing. And but they stretch out this like very maudlin, oh the gang's broken up kind of moment. And here it's just like, yeah, yeah, we know. This is the this is the low point. We're gonna get on with the hijinks though. Yeah, I think that's why I like this, this is, type of movie better than those because the Jet Apatow movies they can be long, and they mm-hmm. can they kind of like they're trying to have more emotions in it and things like that. And it's like you don't always want that in a comedy. You can just make a comedy. Yeah, <laughs> it can be just funny. Yeah, when you're pushing your comedy past two hours. I feel like there's probably a lot of editing you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they come up with the plan to get Cassandra back, uh, which is to beam the, to do their show and beam it directly into a record executive's limousine. The yes, longest, yeah. sh- the longest shot on the face of the planet. <laughs> What do you think of the music video that they had her filming with the giant snake and the drummer was almost inside of a fern playing from inside? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, uh, they're in Illinois, oh, right? Sorry, so where yeah, was that the, filmed? They went to Chicago. That was the thing. She she was like, oh, we're going from Aurora to Chicago and I'm going to be there for three days to film this music video. And there's like a tropical oasis somewhere in Chicago. Yes. <laughs> The Robert Patrick Terminator cameo is so specific, but I like it. It's so, it dates the have, movie incredibly hard, but it's still funny. That must have killed, because I looked it up, and that movie came out five months before Wayne's World. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Patrick, when you're asking what jokes would hit hardest, that might be one of them, honestly. Yeah, that must. if you didn't see it coming, that must have been like amazing. When um, Wayne goes to the the set of the music video and has his little tantrum and then opens the camera, (laughs) we all know there's no film in here and opens the camera. Yes, it just keeps pouring out, just spooling out. Oh, my God. I was losing my shit. perfect comical film. It's like a slinky of film Uh just infinitely pouring out of this camera. I love it. Every time you cut back to him, there's just more on the ground, and it's, like, stretching across in front of him. Oh, it's so stupid. Great. Uh, so the cop, in order to slow Rob Lowe down, decides to give him a rectal exam. <laughs> yeah, it's so extreme. This, if, if anything dates this movie as being in the 90s, I would say this is it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, if there had been a nut shot in the movie, I think that would have been it, too. Uh, now, is it more 90s to have the joke about the rectal exam or to have Rob Lowe's reaction to it uh, when he gets out of his car later and then gingerly walks up to Wayne's house? Oh, A yeah. shot so good, we get to watch it twice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, that that 180, the limousine does, carrying Mr. Big. That was uh-huh. insane. That's, that's badass. That is so cool. How did they not flip that limo? I really like when they were at the ghost try to sneak into a TV show, uh, Garth and all the boys and they run into Russell 
and they're trying to convince him to come on his side and he's like if benjamin were an ice cream flavor he'd be pralines and dick <laughs> it's like so so aggressive i loved it <laughs> oh your delivery there was very good patrick <laughs> <laughs> thank you oh um what do you think of the the two endings it's very it's well it's not quite fully clue well, but it's close but wait right before the ending cassandra's band plays their song to try to entice mr big to sign them to a record deal mm-hmm. how bold is it to do a cover song as your one shot at stardom. Um, yeah, I don't think I would have done that, but I guess it worked for like Alien Ant Farm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's fair. That's fair. That's now that's, that's going to be stuck in my head now, too. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like, um, it's kind of interesting, like them, like Orgy, when they did Blue Monday. Mm hmm. And how they were just like these flash in the pan bands that only their only hit was a cover. Like how that would make you feel. Like people yeah. don't like any of our original music, but we made this really cool version of another one. And that's the one everybody likes. Like all of the poor bands that do the slowed down emo covers of heavy songs for, for movie trailers these days. Ugh, the worst. <laughs> it's the worst. Although, I have to say, the weird version of something in the way that they use in the new Batman movie was actually really cool and used really well in the movie. So, Just lording that Batman over all of us. Jesus. <laughs> Listen, hey, it was, it was out in the theaters uh, last night, if you, get, if you could go to another early screening. Um, well, Apparently I... it was a, like a midnight screening or something, I guess. I had some other friends that went. Well... Um, Inside Intel, friend of the show, George, and Chun Li and I are all gonna go see it together. Oh, oh uh, but we have awesome. to wait a week so it's less crowded. Yes. Yeah. So that is awesome. Uh so then we get the Scooby Doo ending. Oh, Mr. Big turns them down in the first ending. Well, we get the super <laughs> the major bummer ending. Yes. Where Wayne's house winds up exploding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Stacy's pregnant somehow. Yes. Cassandra leaves him for uh, Rob Lowe's character. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, then the Scooby-Doo ending. It cracks me. <laughs> it's such a specific, like, because when they first go into Donut Shop, we're like, hey, old man, Withers, how's the amusement park? And then that pays off at the very end because he's like, oh, yeah, it's the guy with the haunted amusement park because it's the Rob Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> and then in, in the good ending where everything does go well sharp signs them to a six album deal i think <laughs> he might insane. be investing a little <laughs> too much in this band i know he's excited but maybe just two albums yeah six is a lot um and then russell saying that platonic love can exist between two grown men <laughs> yeah. god damn it that cracked me up this whole this whole ending where like characters giving heartfelt monologues directly into the camera and you get the whole like supporting ensemble together on screen. I really enjoyed it. The the I've learned something ending is what is what I call this one. Uh and 
what is it when they <laughs> I don't know which one is the real ending because Wayne and Garth come to the fore in this one and do the uh fished in I'm doing visual jokes again guys you got to pay attention <laughs> <laughs> put your hand yeah. next to your cheek and just flap it like a fish <laughs> yes <laughs> um so I'm sure this has happened before but how do you think this was one of the first times they had stuff during the credits? I was wondering the same thing. Because it was like, I, th- I guess maybe Ferris Bueller did it. Or was that just at the very end? I, it's at the very end, I know. the. What are you still doing here? Mm-hmm. Go home. The movie's over. Yeah. Yeah. Animal House, but that, that just has character cards at the very end. That's not during the credits. Mm. I didn't do enough research to ask that question, but I just wondered that aloud because it's kind of like, no, it's kind of an interesting, innovative thing. And it's also kind of funny when they want people to just sit through the credits. It's like, okay, I mean, I don't mind if you put that thing like 45 seconds into the credits, but these Marvel movies and stuff that like there's seven minutes of credits they want you to wait for so you can get an eight second shot of a character eating a bagel. Yeah. That's not, not, not cool with that, man. No, they've been, I mean, especially with how long those movies are, I started to uh, skip those and just watch them on YouTube later. Cause they always end up oh. popping there. It's just like, I can't, I don't want to be here anymore. Two and a half hours is pushing it for a superhero movie. But even the Marvel shows have wound up doing it, uh, and they have incredibly long credits for each show. And yeah, and then sometimes they don't. So when I yeah I was watching, um, I think it was the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Hawkeye, or, Hawkeye, yeah. Hawkeye and the Falcon. <clears throat> yeah, Hawkeye and the Falcon. Um, and it would be like, okay, there, is there something in the credits? And you watch the credits and there's nothing. And you're just like, okay. Like, you yeah. trained me to do this. And now you're, like, breaking my trust. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did notice, um, I think I enjoy the the credits for... Don't... Guys, don't tell Dylan. I think I enjoy the credits for Book of Boba Fett more than the show itself. <laughs> because you just get to look at the paintings and listen to the cool music. Uh, and it kind of tells you the whole story. Mm. Uh, yeah. Haven't watched that one yet. Nope. It's okay. I never finished. Ma- I watched five episodes of Mandalorian and enjoyed it and then just completely stopped watching it. Yeah. I think the Mandalorian made me realize that I just don't like Star Wars very much. <laughs> like, and that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it kind of sucks, but, um, I don't know, it's starting to feel all samey, and they're just like, yeah, but what if Boba Fett's the star? And you're like, whatever, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some new guys, come on. Yeah, what's other Fett's up to? <laughs> How many Fett's are there? So to wrap up Wayne's World here, Josh, what would you give this movie out of five? Ooh. Okay, this is kind of rough. Because um, I really like it. I don't know when I'm going to revisit it, which is normally my my five star barometer, right? Uh, but probably four, th- three and a half or four, uh, and a heart because there's just so much of like I can't accurately peg this one because of my nostalgia. 
Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. Three and a half or a four. Probably three and a half. It, it, there's a lot of fun stuff. And like I said, I think the Dana Carvey stuff hits more than the Mike Myers for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a really good time just jogging back some old memories of being a kid goofing around with this movie. Uh, Patrick, how about you? Um, well, I'll say this is probably a movie I've seen the most in my life. The first time oh, I right. hung out with my wife, we watched this movie. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I know some of it's kind of dated, and it is kind of silly, and it doesn't have a lot of the plot. So, having said that, five stars. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Good for you. You stick to your principles. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's take five minutes here. All right. Okay. Uh, up next, we're going to be talking about One Cut of the Dead, 2017 Japanese movie directed by uh, Shinichiro Ueda. And this is going to be an interesting movie to talk about because I don't really know what the most efficient way to talk about this movie is going to be going forward, but I think we can figure it out. So I believe all three of us have seen this movie um, before we watched it, right? Yes. Yes. So I think a good way to talk about this movie, by the way, if you have not seen this movie and you're listening to our show, normally that's cool. Don't, don't listen to this episode. You, you got to see this movie with as little knowledge as possible going into it for, for the trick to work. So, um, Patrick, what was your first viewing of this movie like? Um, trying to think. Cause why I, did you watch it? Why How did you hear about it? Well, you told me to watch it. No, I'm just this was kidding. Your... No, I'm no, just kidding. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, um, no, I, I saw it before. I think it popped up on Shudder at some point. And one of my friends, he's really big into Japanese culture. And he was like, you've got to see this movie. It's great. Just go watch it blind. It's a horror movie. Don't worry about it. And that's really the perfect way to go about it. Because I was watching it. I was like, what is this thing? Because... Um, about yeah about 30 minutes in you're like there's more and it's like yeah there's a lot more it's hard to talk about without spoils spoilers yeah so josh how about you how'd you hear about this what'd you what'd you think Um, first time going through it i had some friends who had talked about it um i don't know they'd seen it like at a festival or something a couple years ago and brought it up um so I borrowed a copy from one of them uh, and watched it. And then it come out, came out on Shutter like three weeks later or something. And Joe Bob did his um, thing around it, which is, I don't love uh, the the last drive-in. Like, I'm not a strict adherent to the Joe Bob church, but I do enjoy it from time to time. However, I think his interstitials and closing monologue for this episode is the best thing that he's done. Really? Wow. Yes. I, would, I thought it would ruin the pacing. Oh, no. It's Have you have you seen it, Sean? I did, and I... I If somebody... I would never recommend somebody to watch their first time as that Joe Bob. Yes. I think as a first time go-through, Patrick's right, that the yeah. pacing would be fucked by it. I, I watched it, and... I don't remember much except just 
Joe Bob talk about just this being what this movie is is a love letter to movie making mm-hmm. and all, all the magic that's entailed with it. I first saw this. Uh, I also, by the way, Josh, your friend seeing this at a festival. I cannot imagine seeing this first time in a packed theater. And when, because I watched this <clears throat> blind, just people recommended it on a horror forum or something. And people said, don't, don't look at anything into it. So I didn't. And I haven't seen a ton of Japanese stuff. So I was just, my level of tolerance for weirdness was extra high. And so I was just, I was willing to allow a lot. So watching this movie, I was like, the fuck is this? I mean, all right. It's it's like I was giving it allowances for being a one shot and for being low budget and the, all the awkward pauses and stuff. I just thought it was just a bizarre, weird movie when the characters would stop and pause for 10 seconds. And and then the credits start rolling at the very end. And I was like, well, what was that? Like, maybe that's just like a 45 minute movie. And I thought it was a cool experiment. And so overall, I enjoyed it. It was weird, but, you know, as a cool one cut experiment, it was interesting. And then I think I pushed my remote to see if and I saw there was an hour left, and that was like an oh shit moment. And then when, when that one month ago title card plays, that gave me chills, like top to bottom in my whole body. Because then I was like, oh, that's the tr- like that's the magic trick. Uh-huh. This is the magic trick. And then when we started doing all the rehearsals and casting. I was like, I was giddy. I was so excited for this. It's such a fucking smart idea. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, I was trying to think about it because the movie is, despite what you would think on the cover, is a very wholesome movie. And so I was trying to think of some other wholesome horror movies. Like, ooh, Shaun of the Dead. Um, Like, for some reason, the burbs came to mind. Burbs. Okay, yeah. But that one's more weird. It's not strictly horror. Um There's not There's not a lot coming to mind where it's like a horror movie that gets you in the feels. No. Yeah. I, especially not like this. Like wholesome. Um I think of what is it? Uh is it The Gate? Is that the one I'm thinking of with the kid? Uh, and his sister stuck home like that's a very kind of cute with a great monster uh horror movie that i think is fairly you know tolerable by everybody but it's it doesn't have the same impact as this emotional impact no or it's like another one that came to mind was something like monster squad yes um but that one is more rough around the edges yeah i mean i think like tonally tonally Although there is a lot of swearing in this movie, which, you know, I didn't necessarily think about, like the fact that, well, the context of the swearing is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I picked up on that because of the subtitles. Yeah. Yeah, I, you. I the first time I watched this movie, I was telling you guys before, but you know the older lady. TV executive. Yes. She looks my like deci- an anime character. My subtitles decided to be very 
racist and replace all of her L's with R's. And screening that for my Sunday morning movie club (laughs) definitely was a... (laughs) not a great moment it, it it knocked me out of the movie a little bit um but i don't remember any swearing in this movie from the subtitles i read oh yeah especially when um about halfway through the zombie encounter uh in that in the first portion there where the director comes back into the room and six the actual zombies on them uh there's a lot of both him and the makeup woman say fuck a whole lot Mm. yeah that's i yeah i must have had a different translation that's wild fucks i think my subtitles i think it's one of those movies that it just kind of washed over me yeah so i was just like enjoying the ride so i think going forward the only way we can really talk about this movie is to talk about it as a complete whole with knowledge of the movie start to finish because otherwise we would go through the movie twice basically i i i don't know how you could possibly talk (laughs) about this movie i I don't know honestly also by the way just watching this movie still this is my i think this is my third or fourth time watching it it still kind of breaks my brain Especially at the very, very end, when we see the making of, the making of, the making of this movie. <laughs> yes. And I'm trying to track which crew is the acting crew and which crew is the actual crew recording all of this. Uh, it, 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 it's really, really complicated and like a time machine or something. Like I, as soon as I think I've figured it out, I then forget it all and I don't understand it again. Yeah, I like, I mean, with the one cut, it's, I was trying to figure out if it actually was one cut, but at a certain point, you just lose track of that stuff, and it's just hard to tell. Yeah. So it made me wonder how they actually produced it, if if it was actually like that, or if they did some clever editing to make it so that they didn't have to do it all. I don't think I saw any hidden edit points where they passed the camera past a dark wall or something like that that you would see in other movies. Hmm. The first time watching this, though, I was definitely... This movie's so weird because I... The first time I watched it, I did not enjoy the first act, the movie itself. Same here. Same here. And now I laugh out loud watching it. Like, There's a couple moments that like make me belly laugh because I know what's happening mm-hmm. and I know what's going to happen coming down the road. And so now I enjoy the first act a lot more than I did the first time I watched it. Uh, I almost, the, the first time I watched it, I honestly turned it off about 20 minutes into it. And it wasn't until someone urged me to go back and keep watching it that I gave it another shot. I believe I wanted to. But I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll stick with it. But I, I don't think I was paying full attention my first watch through because I dismissed it as not my not my cup of tea. I think it's definitely rewarding to watch it with other people because, like, it then everybody's in on it. You can kind of like experience it all together instead of by yourself. Because, like, yeah, like you said, it is the 
the initial perceived quality of it is enough that I could see you shutting it off after 20 minutes and be like, all right, I get what this is. This this is such a fun movie to host for friends because it's like a magic trick that only you're in on. And so it's almost like the more people are bored by the first act, the better the payoff will be in the second and third. I, I This is a movie that I would feel so confident airing to a group of people because they would probably not be into it at all. And then by the end of it, have come 180 degrees around full circle mm-hmm. as I did my first viewing. Yeah. And by the end of this movie, I'm crying. So this is, you know, uh, I teased it at the beginning because everyone needs to know my wardrobe. I did purchase a one cut of the dead crew shirt today uh, because the movie is a love letter to filmmaking and I'm getting ready to embark on making a feature film. And I was like, you know what I need in my life? I need a shirt that literally says like one cut of the dead cameras rolling or whatever it is in Japanese at the bottom. Like that's going to be the perfect accompaniment for me, I think. Awesome. So yeah, the, the movie is a movie within a movie. It's <laughs> so hard to explain, but the the sub-movie is a director takes a movie crew to a deserted military base and zombies attack the film crew. But then we pull back from that to get the second movie, which is the making of that movie. Um, And so I I think just going forward, we'll just talk about the like right off the bat this scene sets such a weird tone with the the zombie guy coming after the girl because it's just right away the quality it's the first shot is just immediately a zombie attack and it's weird and it's like not threatening really mm-hmm. but man when the director comes on screen Josh, he did you get a little bit of like Kikachu vibes from the way this guy growled and slapped the wall? Oh my god, he he is so intense, and like, the second time through, it plays as really funny. But this first time through, it's intimidating, it is upsetting, because Mm -hmm. you see this kind of cheesy acting happening, and then you see him come in with this, just the power that he's bringing, and he is kind of like, a little animalistic in his his, uh, approach to her, I think. Yeah, I really liked her screams. Like, they're mm-hmm. kind of cheesy, but she's a very good screamer. There's a lot of them towards the end of their their movie. <laughs> um, also, I love how shitty the other director was. The character, as we see in the auditions and the rehearsals, who's supposed to play the director. Yes. You see him doing this scene, and he's going just half-ass. He's just, mm-hmm. where's your fear? Is this real fear? Blah, blah, blah. And so for this guy as we see later, to be coming from the belly and just screaming in this woman's face. It's so intense, and I love it. Oh, Josh is on dog duty. Uh Uh-oh. What's that, Buster? So, as we move forward here, uh, like, when the actors are hanging out upstairs, and they're doing terrible improv because as we know now they're completely off script and have to stall. 
that guy saying to the lady, um, do you, do you have any hobbies? That's like, <laughs> that's like me on a date when the conversation has just died. And so that's like my level of improv is just like, uh, so what hobbies do you have? Yeah. Oh, and this is where we're introduced to Palm and her, her oh, art of self-defense. I know, I love it. Where she's just like, Palm. And later in the movie, when you hear her off screen, like, Palm, Palm, yeah. Palm, <laughs> Palm on the, on the roof. This uh, woman, I think it's so funny as we find out at the end of this movie that her one of her character traits is that she's such a method actor that she loses herself in the role to the point of going off script and so when we see her drop kicking all of the actors yeah. on her way to the roof that fucking kills me yeah and she walks in and she's just like like oh yeah like you said, she's all method and she just picks up an axe and you're like, um, oh, she was going to kill them for real. Like that wasn't just a movie. The axe thing reminded me of uh, when we were shooting a movie and there was a, a stuntman there who was supposed to mime an axe going down towards the camera mm -hmm. or and then we decided like, no, let's actually put the camera down there. And he'll chop towards it, but we wanted to make sure that it was safe. And so he did a few practice chops and the head of the ax went flying off into the woods no. as he swung his hand back. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I'm glad we did not sacrifice a camera to get that shot. That wouldn't have worked anyway. My next note is uh, the cameraman who is the guy who gets super blackout drunk. Mm hmm. Um, we have him and his whole story uh, when he pukes in that PA's face <laughs> and that, you know that that's real puke oh <laughs> that's rough <laughs> so rough because at some point so he was saying they were saying um, no drinking during the shoot right mm -hmm. but then he's just secret drinking from that water bottle and well the like, producer gives gifts them a uh a bottle of sake. That's the director's right. like, hide it, hide it, hide it. And then there's a cutaway shot. The guy found the bottle. Yeah. And just that little bit, though, where he's talking about, like, my daughter was going to visit me, but I got so nervous that I got blackout drunk and then I missed her visit. That, that unfortunately rang a little too true with some stuff that happened in my own family where it's like, ooh, that's. That's rough. I know. And they were both laughing about it. I was like, Ew. but that uh, little story unlocks the real director going back to his house and looking at the photos of himself and his daughter playing with a camera when she was young and specifically of her sitting on his shoulders to film something, which is like, even the first time through when I got to that point, it hit me in the heart. I was like, that's a very sweet moment, even though he's acting it kind of goofy and he's like taking big glugs of whatever he's drinking. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a sweet little moment. I thought it was interesting. It was almost like the director was like, Hmm, maybe I'll try getting super drunk, looking at photos of my daughter. Maybe yes. this guy's onto something. He's taking the wrong message. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, next note is the sound guy has to leave the room 
for him. <laughs> so the sound guy's whole story of how weak is this man's stomach that what what kind what's the deal with the water? He can't have any minerals in it or something? Yeah, it has to be like completely pure. <laughs> He's got the worst IBS that I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, I know. If you can't drink if water makes you shit your pants, like yeah. what do you even do? Like how do you how yes. are you a functional person? I will say I, I, I could do without the the actual shitting scene <laughs> that happens later. I don't I don't know how you guys feel. I've kinda grown out of the raunchy jokes personally. Yeah, I didn't necessarily love it, but I do find it very funny when the makeup artist is putting on his makeup and he's crying and shitting at the same time. <laughs> he's just having I a bad like, day. Yeah. I did like that he's he's shame crying as yes. he's putting the makeup on. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> so after he runs out, when all the actors just have that long pause as they look around and then they look at the cue cards <laughs> that tells them to check the cell phone or whatever. I can't tell you, I, I don't know what I thought the first time that I watched this movie, except that I was just like, this just must be like quirky Japanese weirdness is basically what I uh -huh. described that to. Well, yeah, yeah. like the, um, the scene right before that with the self-defense and the hobbies and stuff, it just feels so out of place in the initial movie. And you're just like, what is it? But. I know it's the magic of movies. They wrote it this way. But it, the fact that it plays back in on the roof, mm -hmm. where she's just like breaking away from people. And the reason why she's doing that is it's just really smart. And the fact that it ties in to the earlier, because the whole through line of the director, his relationship with his daughter, the fact that she wants to direct, but she's too forceful and mean. And then she talks with her mom, who's a former actress. Mm -hmm. who is taking up self-defense lessons like the the zigzag of that going through uh it's i mean it could be one joke but it winds up being like four you know like the the family dynamics so mm -hmm. it's really well done so you mentioned the daughter being too mean of a director she also i think sees her dad as a pushover initially in the yeah. entire movie he is a pushover we see him bending over backwards to every single person's little complaint and i think this should be changed i need this kind of uh -huh. water i need this special treatment so when you find out in the third act that he's going off script and he slaps the 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 guy actor the young man the 20 year old yes. he yes. slaps him across the face and is like you will fucking listen to me you've been a pain in my ass all <laughs> yeah. through rehearsals and you will do what i say it's like that was sincere it's, it's so funny because it's it was sincere and it was real it's <laughs> mm -hmm. it's you shouldn't slap your actors, but at the same time, it was great to see this guy step up finally uh -huh. and stand up for himself. And it, it, it had to be in character for him to find this confidence, but he found it. And then after he slaps the guy, uh, the actor turns to his wife and says, he slapped me. And then she slaps him again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, that, that is some good stuff right there. Have a good comedic slap. <laughs> 
Uh, Yeah, you know, it's really cool how many things tie together, how that actor was the daughter's crush. Mm -hmm. So the daughter really wants to be involved in this because her crush is cast in this movie. There's just there's so many moving parts. This movie, the script, the screenplay of it really blows my mind. Yeah, I liked it, um, especially with the daughter, because the reason she gets on set, as you said, is because of the movie star. And it was really fun when she was like standing up trying just trying to stare at this man. And then someone gets in her way. She's like, just get out of the way. What are you doing? I can't see him. I was like, yeah, that's that's a teenage girl thing. When uh, they first start putting the crew together and they're doing the read throughs, uh, it's really cool to see it go from like a read through up to where they're staging it and they're using the mini cam to to film the whole thing. Uh, How we'll actually see it happen later, but it's flipped. Like the action goes the opposite direction in the room that it will on on set. Uh, But the woman who brings her crying baby (laughs) to to the session, just you just hear it in the background through so much of that little area and it cracked me up. It was cool seeing them tape off the floor Mm -hmm. and throw the zombie hand across the tape and coordinate all of these movements it didn't seem like they did any on-set rehearsal no did you get that well i guess he said this was the 42nd take at the start of this movie but that's that's the movie that was in the script within the movie yeah so they didn't they didn't do an on-set rehearsal no no because the other two people they were in traffic right yeah so they couldn't have done it yeah because they were having an affair yeah yeah, which is what ends up with uh, the director and his wife acting. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. Oh, after this, when the the actors are still inside that room with the the pool area, it looks uh, the director opens the door and screams "Action!" and throws the zombie at them. Yeah. The first time I watched this, I did really love the director just popping out of frame, out of nowhere, with a zombie in hand uh, two or three times, and just screaming action, <laughs> throwing these people at them. I just love the 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 justification for them being zombies because, like, I think they were, the one guy who was drunk was supposed to play the part, but it's just like he's completely passed out, and the reason he works as a zombie is because he's being manipulated by the director. Uh huh. And then the other guy is just like, he's just like crying. He's like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, well, you're a zombie. Get back in there. Uh, and then the the poor guy who's playing the AD within the movie, who gets his arm chopped off in yeah. the movie, within the movie. Uh, but he's like just kind of a weenie the whole time, too. Uh, he kind of takes after the director and he's just pathetic, which is even better when he gets puked on then because you actually kind of feel bad for him but <laughs> i think if it was the main actor you wouldn't <laughs> have been yeah. like eh, that asshole had it coming so now we're gonna get a, a chase outside and so somebody the woman hatchets the zombie and she gets sprayed with blood as does the lens and so when oh. they're running outside that lens wipe as they're going that was a moment where the first time i watched it i was just kind of like all right, I think they're just expecting us to forgive that fourth wall break. Yeah. Because that's just due to the budget and the constraint of having a one cut movie. Mm-hmm. You might have to clean the lens at one point. Yes. Now, 
I have had a friend, the the same guy actually, who uh, hooked the wax, the axe into the woods, um, made a one shot movie called Warehouse that I wish I could find. He made another movie called The Truck, which is very fun uh, and is available places. But his first movie he did was Warehouse, and he fashioned his own um, helmet cam that he wore throughout the shooting of this movie. And he was like, he planned it. He uh, staged it. And then on the day he was going to shoot, he allotted nine hours or no, it was six hours to shoot because he could shoot the movie four times in six hours. (laughs) He's like, well, something screws up. We we have three more takes and that's what we're going to do. And the movie is actually fairly enjoyable. I think it came in at like, a little shorter than that, but uh, it's the kind of thing that I just appreciate the gusto of someone having the idea, even of shooting a one take movie like that. It's like it was 1917. It's I don't think it's strictly mm-hmm. one take, but it's kind of meant to kind of be like that. Mm-hmm. Which that movie, even in that one. 1917, you really appreciate the Roger Deakins camera work and the lighting and everything that went into it. But I don't think that that much less work went into making this work because of the fact that you're shooting it for real, at least from two different angles with three separate camera crews. (laughs) Like, however, they maneuvered that and made all the in camera footage for the first section look so perfect for what Mm. it is like it's not good but it is it exactly hits the tone of someone making a low budget independent movie at this level of of a zombie invasion like it's you know it to the point that i turned it off because my thought was i've seen this movie in english before but i've seen this movie Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it has the twists and the twists and i just think that the ingenuity, the technical and logistical ingenuity to pull that off is uh, amazing and why this movie works so well. So, um, follow-up question. You said your friend made a movie called The Warehouse? Yes. And then he made a movie called The Truck? Yes, he did. Did he make, was that just like a sequel? And then like next it's like The Truck Stop. And then he made Garage (laughs) Uh or Gas Station or something like that? I think his idea is that The Truck comes from the warehouse. Oh, like, it's like the truck cinematic universe. Yes, because <laughs> the, within the movie the truck, there's a warehouse chase in the truck, the titular truck. But then the um spoilers for the truck, the truck winds up going off a cliff at the end, which is a badass thing for someone to pull off in an independent film <laughs> for like $2.3, you know. Did your friend drive it off the cliff wearing the helmet cam? No, that'd be cooler. He did a scuba dive down to where it landed in the quarry and film it underwater, though. Which is pretty great. That's pretty badass. Yeah. He's one of those, like, legendarily tough kind of dudes. He was a stuntman for Kevin Sorbo. Uh, And so whenever you want to do something... His reason, his answer is always like, "Oh no, I can ride a horse, but can I ride it on fire?" 
Can I? Can you like douse me before I get on the horse? No, yeah, you right. cannot no. ride a horse on fire. The horse does not want to be on fire, sir. Please. Yes. Uh, uh, you want him to do a jump off something? He always wants to jump off something taller. Seems like a bad idea. I know you would think so, especially as we're all getting older. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of getting older, we got a cameraman in this movie who has a bad back. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I picked up on this. Maybe I did before, but and then you have the what would you call the woman, the assistant camera operator, the woman who tells who wants to operate the camera, and she tells him that when the zombies on screen, wouldn't it be cool if they did a zoom, zoom in, in, zoom out oh, yeah. real fast? And so the fact that he fucks his back. And she picks up the camera, and then we immediately are on that chase, and then she does the zoom in, zoom out. I, I that really worn my heart that she got her little moment it's funny like the bad people in this movie like are the people who are kind of like not bad but just like doing bad things are the ones that are like punished and the people around them have to pick up the slack for them Mm -hmm. one thing i love about this movie is that almost every single character by the end is brought on a redemption arc and it so it just swells with happiness at the end because there's not really a bad guy in this by the end that the, the network executives come around all the people who are assholes at the beginning take part in the human pyramid and mm-hmm. like when that when that punk actor and the executive are in the middle tier of the human pyramid at the end and people who were dismissive initially are now carrying their weight literally that's just awesome oh that's beautifully said carry weight that's good thank you uh i mean we hadn't we hadn't talked about it yet but the that uh that pyramid at the end with the okay it's the director who plays the director within the movie that's in the movie but he's also the director of the movie within the movie Jesus, uh, when his daughter <laughs> climbs up on his shoulders and is filming, like, because they show the shot that she's shooting and then they turn around and show her up there, just like the photographs he was crying over. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that was like the supreme moment where I was like, this movie is already a blast. And then I was like, oh, no, I see what it was doing the whole time. This mm-hmm. is great. Uh, I love how stressed everybody in the pyramid is, too. They just all like. <laughs> holding on for dear life Mm -hmm. i tell you i did not see a family redemption movie coming out of this weird ass zombie movie when this started so the fact that at the very end when that daughter when she hands him the photo and then she's smiling and then he gives just a great movie smile Uh just it's so sweet and it's so endearing and i I just love this man. And so the fact that he's salvaged his relationship with his daughter and ah, it it just, I was, I was crying pretty good at the end of this one today. Also, can we talk about the music? The music in this movie is really weird, but I think it completely works. Yes. It's like weird, generic rock that you would expect in a low budget video game. And then at the very end, we get the happiest little and then a Jackson 5 cover? Yeah, that was that was not 
seen that one coming. It was good. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed. So whenever they would cut back to them, uh, their tiny apartment that they all lived in, mm-hmm. where it's just like one room and a kitchen, and they would all sit on the couch together and watch TV. And I was like, it's I don't know. I've I've been to Japan a couple times, and those rooms are definitely like that. Like they can make you feel like a giant there. I don't know how well I would do being in that close of space with my family. No, me either. Like, um, I even went, I went with a friend one time and we stayed in a hotel together where we shared a bed and the doorway to get into the room was shorter than me. So to get into the room, I had to duck down under it. So it was, and it was like by a good, like four inches. And I was, it was weird. People would like stare at me on the subway. <laughs> you're, you're six, two, six, three. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, I was pretty surprised when uh, we had lunch. I was like, oh damn. Yeah. You you got a couple inches on me. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse. When old ladies stare at How you in the subway. How tall are you, Josh? I have no idea. I was just going to ask you the same thing. I'm a little, I'm, I'm intimidated to find out. Now. Okay, all right. We'll tell each other how how tall we think the other is. Okay, okay. Now I think you are. Are you going I th- with with hair or without hair? Everyone has to realize that I have. That's a, a good, good eight inches, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> my my faux hawk. I'm gonna say the top of your skull. Okay. Is six feet off the ground. Mm, I'm a little shorter than that, like 5'11". Pretty yeah. good, pretty close. And how yeah. tall do you think I am? 6'1". And with my hair? 6'1 <laughs> six, six and 3 eighths. <laughs> no, I, I, last time I checked is 5'11". Really? Mm-hmm. Wow, same height. You loom so thought, large in my mind, always, Sean. That's because I stand closer to my webcam than you. See, if I if I recorded back here, yeah. now I look like I'm about five six, right? Yeah, that's fair. Josh, I think you should take half of your hair and mm-hmm. mail it to Sean, and then you guys can be the same height still. <laughs> oh, that's a very good. Yeah, it's like locks of love, but not as long. Right, but more love. Because I actually know him. I mean, how much can you? How much can any of us love a stranger? <laughs> uh, let's see. Girl gets chased through the long tunnel, the long dark tunnel. Uh, it's very interesting that the fucked up guy is doing like drunken tai chi as his zombie style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, her boyfriend in the movie comes and grabs her, saves her, and now this is where we. She thinks she's been bitten, and this is where uh, the makeup lady, the wife, the the mom, uh, dives headfirst into her character. And for so for my for my subtitle, she just said here, "I am calm. I am dead calm." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. That's what I had. Too. And the look on her face is a little terrifying. I was, I was wondering about the motivation for it because they were talking about she's a serious actor, but I'm also like, she's determined to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. It's like, this movie will work. 
or I will kill everybody here. <laughs> yeah, it's she wants it to happen for her husband, I think, so badly mm-hmm. uh, that I would not want to get in the way of her. I mean, as as a zombie killer or as the actress. Well, yeah, you're about to find out because she the boyfriend guy grabs her and she palms him off <laughs> and keeps chasing the girl. And this is where she drop kicks uh, AD guy, drunk guy and her husband. I think she kicks her husband in the balls. I think she yeah. does. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Always a classic, hilarious moment. Yeah. I mean, really, more movies could use, you know, nut shots. Like you got your jackass, but like, come on, licorice pizza, like figure it out. <laughs> Wait, were there not any nut shots in licorice pizza? I don't think so. There okay. also wasn't much licorice. Oh. Spoilers. Sorry. No, oh. now I don't even need to see the movie. That's true. Uh, I mean, you don't need to see any movies except for the ones that we cover here. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You got to <laughs> two every two weeks. Uh, That's one a week. We Is haven't it? talked. <laughs> I haven't done the math on that. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about the the actor who plays the director in the movie. I, Sean, you said you love his character. I think I love the actor. Like he is putting everything into every scene, even when he's in the beginning when he's like kowtowing to everybody. He's very you know, like meek and like kind of slump shouldered and really hunched over. And then as he gets later in the movie, he's got these bigger and bigger facial reactions. And I just think they're, uh, it's the kind of thing that I would like to see more of, except for it would ruin the fact that it's very special <laughs> when it does happen. I genuinely think he gives like a brilliant performance uh-huh. and the movie hinges on his performance. Absolutely. We're going to the roof. <clears throat> Lady and boyfriend are going to have a fight. I love that during the fight, it just the camera pans to show the girl screaming for what feels like 30 seconds straight mm-hmm. of just <laughs> her screaming as they're scrambling to get the, the axe apparatus. Well, actually, the director's choking his wife out. Sleeper hold. That's I was gonna ask. And what's happening during that 30 seconds? <laughs> oh my gosh. The fact that she keeps palming everybody. Just so arms up. Palm. 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 And nobody can contain this woman. Because she took no. a self-defense class. Because palm, it gives you the strength. The strength comes from palm. That's, that's the key. <laughs> Oh, so she's passed out with the axe in her head. And uh, the girl runs off. I thought it was clever that she's hiding in the shed. And at this point, a zombie, we see a zombie walking as just the legs inside the movie. Mm-hmm. But then when we back out, we see that it's a, a, can- it's a crew member with zombified legs holding a cue card to tell <laughs> her to pick up the axe and go back to the roof yeah. for the final fight. And then when she walks... And she just happens to find another axe. And she's yes. like, oh, an axe. How lucky. <laughs> uh, but she wasn't actually bitten either. She just had some schmutz on her leg. And that she very easily picks off. Yeah, did she forget that somebody had... It looks like a makeup apparatus. Yeah. That's been... 
So I guess she just forgot somebody applied that to her. But I know it's inside the movie, okay, inside the you. movie. Yes. I know, okay. I know. Inside the logic of the inside the logic of the movie. Whatever. <laughs> the way that they cut between uh, the real life version and the, the camera version, like the in-world camera version, the cuts are so tight and seamless that it makes me wonder, like, did they really do this? And is what we're seeing the actual one take? Because it seems pretty exact from what happens. I know what you're saying. I, I think some shots were the actuals. And then I think there's other shots where I feel like we would have seen the camera would have been visible. Mm-hmm. So I think they're recreations, uh, but I'm not 100% on that. That is kind of interesting, though, if they had a camera crew, like, take a step back and film them filming the movie. It's the, the, the credits of this movie is so cool watching, like you were talking about before, the coordination. But seeing the orchestrated dance that the entire crew has to do, applying makeup and blood and throwing corpse dummies in and out of the building and stuff, <laughs> all, all just beautifully timed and orchestrated to make it look chaotic. It's, it's really brilliant. Um, the daughter, speaking of just like the stuff inside the production booth. So the daughter, I don't remember which happens first if the dad yells at the, the executive. But the way the daughter takes control and starts saying, no, 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 cut. We're going to cut to this line here. We're moving to this page on the script and we're going to save it. Yes. I just, I love her arc as she starts to also find her confidence without being, without trying to make a kid literally cry on camera because it has (laughs) to be real tears. Yeah. And the fact that earlier in the movie, they found an excuse for both the mom and the daughter to read the script. So that they yes. would know what was happening. The- oh, yeah. The, 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 sorry. The scene I was thinking of was when the, it's for the merit of the final shot. And the executive is just like, oh, whatever. Just scrub the final shot. It doesn't matter oh. if the crane is, if it's fucked. And the director finally is like, we have to do it. It's, it's for my art. And he's not, as he said before, he's fast, cheap, but average. Yeah. Was how this guy worked. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I love seeing him start to to care and to want to make something really good. I think the, uh, the dynamics between everyone in that control room, because you've got the daughter and then you've got like kind of the flunky in the middle. And then the woman who I think is maybe the script soup, um, I th- but she would be on set. I don't know. It doesn't quite make sense. But that woman. Uh, like they're so butting heads towards the beginning of it, but then the daughter through her forcefulness, like actually gets people on her side and it says something about the need to be decisive in these things, but also to be kind that I think it just does it really effectively. Uh, The other thing I noticed, Sean, is that we both keep saying, I love, I love, I love. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know how else to convey it though. Yeah. This movie fills my heart with happiness. Yeah, it really is. It I love. I love. Um, I forget. Have you guys done an American movie? Yes. Yeah. This movie, I was getting those kind of vibes from it. It's like a more refined version of that. 
Oh. Yeah. I totally, I was thinking about some of Mark's films that he had made as a young man growing up. And the passion and love for filmmaking overall. I think these these two movies, American Movie and One Cut, would also make an excellent double feature. Uh, yeah. Yeah, especially because it's like, they want it, they, you know, they kind of have the idea they know what it is, but they just want to be what it is to, as good as possible. If that makes sense. Yes. It's the fact that kind of no one buys into it at the beginning, but then... Like, they're not into the script that much, but they are very much into the idea of making something together. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that really comes through. Like, the... It's normally plays out on a longer scale, but um, making a movie is like being in a band or like going to summer camp kind of a thing, where it's really intense for a short period of time, but then after those few weeks, you're kind of quits. but up until the end of the last day, at some point you'd like, I would lay down for this person. Mm -hmm. It's just, it becomes that kind of, you know, tight knit family. And I think that this shows that really well. In high school, I was in marching band. They'd always do a two week band camp at the beginning. And it's just like, uh, I don't want to do this, but it's like, that's why. Cause you would need to build camaraderie. Yep. The shot at the end where they're all lying down and, Everyone has a giant smile on their face and they're all kind of draped their bodies over each other. It, it, it gives that feeling. And I also, I don't know, it, it left me with the feeling like, man, this movie would have been hard to walk away from. Like this production, making this movie to then leave this behind because this just looked so like creatively exciting to be a part of this crew. Like, um, they did that documentary for Wet Hot American Summer, and oh. it was just like, it was on Netflix when they had the second one, mm -hmm. and it showed, like, all the behind the scenes for everything, and it was really cool to see them all being like, we're making something that's gonna be really good and really funny, and just, like, how that must feel must be nice. I don't think you get that feeling often on set, where you have, conf especially in a comedy. I feel like it's really hard to know a comedy or horror movie. I feel like it would be really hard to know if it's good until you get into the editing room. I mean, especially if you're doing, uh, like we were saying earlier, like an Apatow style thing where you don't know what you have because you might have done that scene eight or ten times or whatever because they have all those alternate versions that they kind of string together. Like, there's no way that all happened at once and people were just rolling in the aisles. That was probably the result of hours of improvising and, and editing on it. That's rough. Yeah, I think that's why <clears throat> there were so many of the studio comedies that failed. Like after after Wayne's World, they had they were like, "Oh, we're just making the SNL movie, and then this will be a movie." And it's just all these different litany of characters, and it's just like you can't just make a comedy. Like you have to work hard on it, and really, I bet, like you're saying do a lot of editing and previews and stuff like that to make sure what you've got is good. And that's so much of a comedy has to come from how your audience responds. And you're so numbed out to that by the time you'd, you'd be editing, that would be insane. But for something like this, 
the movie itself has to be edited so tightly that I don't know that you could make an alternate version and make it make sense. Like, if you want to change some of the jokes, that'd be really... I don't know how you would do it in this film. No, not in this. Yeah. yeah. You could do it in, like, superhero movie or, like, scary oh, yeah. movie three or whatever. It's just, like, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just put it all... Yeah, because they're all just different references and things that kind of chain together, but there's no... It's no this happens, then this happens sort of mentality to the jokes themselves. Not like this, where it the humor builds from the previous sequence. Yeah. Although I would like it if like halfway through this movie, if like Borat just showed up, it was like, my <laughs> wife. You're like, uh, I remember uh, that. that guy. What movies would you compare this to in its fourth wall breaking aspect? Cause for me, the only one I can really think that comes to mind is the, the player. I think it's a Robert Altman movie with mm-hmm. Tim Robbins where it's like similarly I a movie within a movie where a guy's a guy is writing the screenplay for the movie that we're watching so, something like that. I that movie did not land for me nearly as well as this one does. I haven't seen that movie since I was a teenager, uh unfortunately, but I would say all that jazz um because there are sequences of the main character editing his previous movie within the movie and then doing screenings of that movie. And then at the end, he is directing a version of his own life that is also within it. So that's pretty wild. Yeah. That one gets, gets pretty trippy towards the end. It's very existential in the way that it handles it though. I'm trying to think of a fourth wall breaking movie. And nothing's coming. I think Scream is just fresh on my mind. That's the first one that came up. But that's yeah. It breaks the fourth wall, but not in the same way as this. Community was it a show that yeah. did it constantly? Oh yeah. The other one that came to mind. No, it didn't. It's gone now. <laughs> Patrick, when you started saying it, I was like, I totally had one in my brain uh, because you said Scream, and now now it's gone. Oh, well, there's Scream. Scream 2. Scream 2. Scream 2 <laughs> has the meta elements to it. Like, the Wayne. meta meta elements. Wayne's World 2. Uh-huh. And then, from 2 to 3, you move from the meta of the stage to the meta of Hollywood, and then you have Sydney's house, but it's not really Sydney's house. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> Is that a haiku? <laughs> I think it's close. There was one movie I almost suggested that breaks the fourth wall but then i decided that i didn't want to talk about it with you guys it's um oh fuck what's that movie where the two guys break into a house and then Home Alone? they the... <laughs> oh are you done yeah patrick done. <laughs> patrick's sip after the delivery of that line was <laughs> uh funny games oh yeah Oh, yeah. Because there's some fourth wall breaking stuff and cam- characters talking to the camera and things, but I I didn't want to compare Wayne's World to Funny Games. That just seemed like a bummer of a time. Yeah, it's a very polar opposite of a movie. Like Wayne's um, World well, to Funny uh, Games. Yeah. It's yeah. uh, too much. Synecdoche, New York. Have you seen Never that? seen it. Okay. Is that a uh, Kaufman, Charlie Kaufman yes. script? Yeah. 
I've not seen many of his movies. Um, adaptation and adaptation. I don't know. I know there's one or two others I've seen, but Eternal adaptation Sunshine. also fits. Yeah, Ad- adaptation is actually a good meta mind fuck movie. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, that's a really good one. I should watch that again. It's been a while. I should cover that for the pod. God, that's such a sad boy movie, though. We'd be all on our feels again. <sighs> yeah, we need to stop doing that. <laughs> it's it, it can't stop, won't stop. I cried at Spider Man. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, I can see that. Uh, the the yeah. the new one. Yes, it, there's like eight Spider Mans. All right, whatever. No, there's only three. Um. Yeah. So I we get I. This might be the latest title card I've ever had in a movie, and there's two of them. There's a fake title card, which is the end of the movie at 36 minutes, and then I guess there's the real title card, which is 40 minutes in, which then shows us all of the actors, and we don't know who any of these actors are yet. This still kind of blows my mind, the, the credits 40 minutes in with still frames for every single actor. Yes. It's really impressive, like, the balls on that to actually do them. Because I would think if you'd gone that far, you just wouldn't do them, even. No, it it, it stops the movie to a grinding halt (laughs) for, like, 90 seconds. Yes. (laughs) I don't think I really have anything else for this one. Do you guys have any other notes or any other points that you think we've missed or things you want to bring up? Um, I love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 I do think it's interesting when you watch movies like this, like independent movies, especially in the US, you would recognize some of the actors. But when you watch, um, like, I guess this is an indie Japanese movie. I'm just curious about what else they've been in and what, what they're up to now. Yeah. So this movie cost $30,000 or so to produce. Wow. Uh, tra- you know, and it made approximately a thousand times its budget is based on seems to be the numbers that I've seen. Wow. Uh it it blew up in Japan and it was the number one movie for I think a long time in Japan. Like this this movie had a Blair Witch-esque run as far as being an indie indie smash hit oh wow so these people i think were unknown in japan or maybe you know maybe people know one or two of the actors interesting yeah also i think josh and i've talked about this before but with foreign movies i think i'm it's easier to forgive performances or think everyone's giving a good performance because you can't you can't really feel if their line delivery is clunky or a little cold or whatever yeah it's it's a lot easier because they're being very emotional with the way they're speaking so mm-hmm. it's like if you can't understand the words you understand the emotions they're trying to convey and it's almost like the purest form of the performance this is just going to wind up with me talking about my love for Nicolas cage again but all right do it that's a lot of uh there's an interview a few weeks ago where he talked about his acting style and the fact that he wanted to break through like what is considered polite American cinematic repertoire for the actor. Uh, And that's why he makes the choices he does because he wants to see how far he can push it and still have it come from a real place with inside him with inside himself. And 
I think that in foreign cinema, you see that sort of, I don't know, it's because they take it more seriously or less seriously that they're able to do that. Uh, but a lot of these things, and I don't mean to like compare Korean cinema and Japanese cinema or whatever, but something like Parasite or The Host, those movies, you've got uh, serious melodrama packed up against like slapstick comedy and people acting their hearts out to both extremes and, you know, really overselling, like playing to the back row kind of things. And I feel like on those, you can tell because they're giving a very intentional performance and it's, um, it is so on the surface doing what it says that it's doing. There's not like a lot of hidden nuance going on underneath, but they are accurately portraying actual emotion. Yeah, and I like I think I prefer that much to something like uh Ooh, I'm gonna jump in deep waters here. Um like <laughs> this like the sixties French impressionist movies where all the characters are just kind of detached and they're kinda of yes. like, oh, the world and it has this air of self importance. And it's like nobody acts like that. Right. Like it, I guess it's of its time, but it's just like at a certain point it's I can't really engage with it if you're not engaging as a person yeah it actually it's like it appeals to the other extreme of within myself one is like the very snooty cinephile who wants to appreciate the way that you edited this film and the fact that you're deconstructing all the normal hollywood elements that go into a, a gangster film or whatever it is but then the big soft heart in me wants something like this where there's people i mean I would compare it more to like um uh like a Baz Luhrmann movie, right? Like Romeo and Juliet where they are just fucking portraying exactly what's in in the words directly out like beaming it into your heart. Like mm-hmm. he wants you to feel every beat of it. And ah uh, I think as I get older the snooty cinephile part of me kind of gets filed off a little bit and the big soft heart is is growing a little bit. It's good. The, I love, as yes. I've heard said before. <laughs> well, speaking of big soft hearts, my big soft heart is completely filled by this movie. I'm going to wrap things up here. Perfect. Um, by the end of this, I think the only way this movie could be better is if the first act was a legitimately good horror film on its own merit. I think that's for me, it would be the only thing missing from this as far as like perfection. So this is a strong four and a half out of five that I look forward to coming back to and to showing. See, this is cool because this is like a movie you could show. I could show my niece and nephews who are like 10, 12 years old because it's it's so goofy, but there, there's a lot to it. And also just... Anytime I get a love letter, especially as a horror fan, and you just you get someone who gets it and is able to demonstrate what we love about these things and what they give to us, it just it touches me and like validates a lot about my passions that I've chosen. Josh, what would you say? Uh, I would say I was going to let Patrick go first so we could we could. Um, we can be okay. the Oreos. Okay. Okay. Let me let me just fix that little edit point here. P- 
Patrick, what would you say? <laughs> um, I, I don't the know. Ore- I, wait, stop, stop! Don't call us Oreos, Jesus <laughs> Christ, Josh. <laughs> Tommy sandwich. Okay, I'm sorry. Keep continue, Patrick. <laughs> um, I, I really love this movie. I think it's really good at what it does. It's really charming. And you're right, you can show it to anybody um, as long as they're willing to accept a little bit of the horror elements to it. So I would also say four and a half stars. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you guys. I don't think that I've done a bigger turnaround on a movie. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, from watching the opening frames of this to at the end i was like fuck yes let's go on this ride again because it's fun and i want i want to see what this director and his daughter would do next like if there was just a continuation of this where they had another adventure with some kind of wacky meta commentary to it i would be down for that because i do love these people at this point i think they're such a cool family well patrick do you have anything else that you would like to plug uh, maybe a movie people should watch, a band people should check out, a book you've been digging, anything? Mm-hmm. I have been reading a book, but I don't remember the specific title, so I can't remember <laughs> recommending it. Um, I will say, you know, you should listen to Best Little Horror House in Philly with George. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a really good horror podcast with some famous what guests. What movie did you... you- you did Final Destination? Two. Two. Yes. Excellent choice. I love Final Destination series. We got to cover one of those, Josh. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, those are... Uh, there's, I think, one that I didn't really like when I did the rewatch a couple years ago. Four, four is pretty bad. Is, is that Five the one, is one of my favorites. Five is great. Is, is four yeah. the one that just feels really dour the whole time? And you're like, this isn't as kind of fun and wacky as the other ones. Yeah, it's kind of, I, yeah, without spoiling it, there's some stuff in it that's kind of like, uh-oh. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just plug that. I don't know what else to plug. Cool. Well, I would say, I just read the news that it seems that Martin McDonough is teaming up again with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson for another movie. So I would say, in the meantime, watch In Bruges. If you've seen that, watch Seven Psychopaths. If you've seen that, watch Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, because those are all fantastic movies. Josh, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to add The Guard as another McDonough Brothers movie with Brendan Gleeson. I need to watch that one again. I I, I watched it like a decade ago, and I don't remember much from it. Ah, I like that one. I mean, that's... My second behind uh, in Bruges, I think. Um, I don't know. I've been listening to a lot of Ghost lately, so that's very enjoyable. Uh, And that is entirely the fault of the Halloween Kills soundtrack, which I have listened to more than I've thought about the movie, probably. (laughs) Uh, And reading a book about the films of Saijin Suzuki, who was a Japanese film director who made... Uh, literally dozens upon dozens of genre studio films and then got kind of tired of the system and started 
in that very film school way, deconstructing uh, those movies. And his last few that he did for the studio are just beautiful. And then later in his career, he moved to an almost Lynchian kind of logic with a lot of his films. This very dream logic. So you can you can find something to tickle your brain along the the film uh, films of Saijin Suzuki, I would say. And people should watch them because I want to talk about them. Awesome. Patrick, thanks for coming on, man. You were, you were an awesome guest. Really well, enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you. If you ever decide to cover a Bond movie, you know how to find me. Yes. Well, since I've only seen two of them, I have a lot of education, so I'd be happy to talk with you <laughs> that, some Bond sometime. That would be a good thing. We could, we could figure out what is the best path to actually enjoy the Bond movies. Hmm. That'd yeah. be interesting. Yeah. Do you go most racist uh, or least racist? <laughs> <laughs> most problematic overall. Because right. you've got to get the sexism in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, two weeks from now, the show, we're going to have our friend Kevin on. And he's we're going to be talking about Michael Mann's Thief. And, uh, oh, uh, Nicholas... Windy oh, Griffin? <laughs> I, I painted myself into a corner with that name. <laughs> uh, we're getting Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive. Uh, Josh, you want to close this out? No, because you're just going to make fun of me again. I won't. Not with Patrick here, I promise. Okay. <laughs> and for Sean, for Patrick, and for myself, I would like to say, be kind to yourselves, be kind to each other, We'll see you in two weeks. Well done. Thank you. you. Thank you. That felt good. Impressive. Bye.